This is Tom from Third Rail Design Lab. And this is Begin Again Blake Simmons. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! I'm doing very well, Third Rail Design Lab Tom. <laughs> How about yourself? Uh, I'm almost recovered from my jet lag. From being it's overseas. It's a state of mind, man. You just got to get used to it and drink your way to freedom. Oh, maybe a little less of that uh, this yeah. time. But, but dude, dude, better living through modern chemistry. Come on. Y- you're right. You're right. Um, so... Uh, we're it's just you and me tonight because in this particular session because uh Mr. Deeply Dapper is on the road heading to I think it's Wizard World Portland. So just to recap and in another session we'll be hearing more about this, but he was just down at Silicon Valley Comic Con in San Jose. From Idaho he drove there. And I was supposed to be doing that with him. And then I went to Japan instead. So he held down the fort for both of us, and then he drove back to Idaho to resupply, and now is driving out to Portland. And what concerns me is he's been uh, posting to Instagram that he's not sleeping, that he just had to work all night long. Uh, so drive safe. Chris. It's my it's my hope he meet, reaches his final destination without some final destination kind of stuff happening. The oh, logs, for- the logs coming off the trucks. Thanks for giving me the jinx. (laughs) The jinx. Anyway, so you and I are here to have some discussions. But before we do that, there's a little segment I like to call Sucking the Monkey. And I want to know what you are drinking. Well, tonight I decided to go for a balanced palette of class and elegance. And uh, so I'm I'm mixing it up with uh, uh, vitamin water because I've I've been recovering from an illness this week, so I'm trying to maintain my electrolyte balance. And then to complement that electrolyte balancing activity, I'm going with a Hartley Ostini Hitching Post Gin Red wine okay. blend. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So there you go. How in, about you? In some of our recording sessions, you're like, well, I've got you know a tapeworm, so I'm drinking nothing but water and enzymes and then i'm making highballs and we're not aligned in our no. environments just as a fair warning don't bad mouth bitey my tapeworm oh, oh. and in the end <laughs> i was like well he named his <laughs> beverage what kind of illness is this uh speaking of naming beverages uh i am not having a refreshing cocktail tonight i thought i would rein it in and lean back out a bit and i'm having a delicious uh, beer from uh, Cool Shen Brewing Company from the Great Pacific Northwest that my awesome. brother, brother-in-law brought down on a recent visit. Now they live in Seattle, so they bring out-of-state liquor across state lines. Uh, well, you know, yeah, I'm sure you know they paid all the. <laughs> I'm sure they paid tariffs. <laughs> Tax uh, tariff. Yeah. Yes, um, this it's a sour. It's a ghost, a ghost, or a goes or a gose. We don't know. So I got to ask you, man. Do you yeah. like sours? I love them. Really? Oh yeah. And I went to Philly, and the, a friend of mine took me out on the town, and they poured the sours at room temperature, and that that was not okay. Okay. Well, there are a number of problems in your statements. Yeah. That... One, you went to Philly. Two, you drank warm sours. I guess those are the two problems. 
well. And I mean, going to Philly is great because you drive through the Blade Runner set from the airport. It's All right. Nice. Yeah. Well, but the the Luke, but but the lukewarm lukewarm sours. I couldn't do that either. I don't think. But you did it. I did, and I haven't had a sour since. <laughs> there could be a corollary. Uh, I'd say it's axiomatic. Anyway, so this is a delicious beverage, and I'm going to drink this and enjoy it. Good. It's light. It's a 3.9%. So it's more of a sucking the, you know, blonde monkey. Like sucking, sucking the, lightweight. Well, it's, yeah, it's a sour. <clears throat> it's, it's pretty mild, but that's fine. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it doesn't pack the punch of vitamin water and red wine, my friend. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. You know, for a while, I was like earlier, like last year, for some reason, I got in the habit of taking uh, kombucha, particularly the <sighs> ones with the seeds, the chia seeds in them. And I would drink like 20% of it or 30% of it and then put the vodka in or gin to fill it out. And so what ended up happening is if I were to then have a kombucha any other time, it tasted like vodka or gin. So you're in danger of doing that to your vitamin water. No, because I'm not mixing a red wine and vitamin water. I'm not a savage okay. uh, in the same container. But uh, <laughs> you, you know what your uh, strategic error was in that whole gambit with kombucha? All of it? No, no, no. You, you, you were right to drink like 20% of it. And then you pour the rest down the drain. Got it. Rinse it out, and yes. then just pour vodka and ice in it, and then the Johnny Walker Johnny Walker Black method. Yeah, you just yeah. Bucha. <laughs> so, uh, do you have any quick current events you want to talk about before we talk about the other thing? Uh, in what capacity? I have lots of current events, but entertainment events, uh, not not sobering events. I, you? I I can't. I'm I'm even more depressed now than I was about. The imminent fluorescent, fluorescent turd wreck that um, Han Solo is going to be. You know, man, I choose to be optimistic. I think it's going to be a fun time. Right. Well, if you do the right combination of hallucinogens and mezcal, uh, I'm sure it'll be great. This is an outrage. You have no, you have no faith. I have plenty of faith. Where's but, the hope? What? Where's the hope? It went away with episode four. <laughs> Episode four, a new hope. It took it all away. I thought no, it was bringing dude. it back. It was a pun on words, dude. Right, I, understand. I understand. Okay, see a what happens on words, as opposed to a pun on metal. Yes. I <laughs> well, so this is this is what happens when we're not having heavy liquors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oh, I, I, I do have one other tidbit that just shocked me. Are you a Silicon Valley fan? Oh yes. Okay, T.J. Miller. Uh huh. He got arrested. On bomb an threat. train from calling in a fake bomb threat while on the train and drunk on the train. It sounds like he was lit and was irritated at someone next to him. Yeah, and he thought that. Well, what's the rational response here? What, what, what would Trump do? And uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know what's going on with that guy. I really like him on, or I liked him on Silicon Valley, but you know his his real life stuff starts to creep in. And it wasn't that much of a surprise when the quote-unquote mutual uh, discontinuation of his contract happened. But yeah, um, well, it's a downward spiral of Dunkin' Donuts and celery juice. It's just you know, the <laughs> time-honored tale of tragedy. <laughs> Is that a time-honored tale? <laughs> um, At least where T.J. Miller's concerned. <laughs> um, I so okay, yeah. So that's a thing. I don't like that too much. Um, also, he has some harassment claims against him, and yeah. his 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 uh, his wife has come into it and claimed that it was just a weird stalker. And but I don't know. Yeah, it's it sucks when someone's other behavior starts to spin, 
out so badly that it makes you really question everything, right? Yep, tis passing strange. Mm-hmm. So uh, one thing, uh, the spectacle that is Black Panther, it's like just past Titanic. At least domestically, I don't know about domestically. Canada. It's at one point yeah. three one billion for worldwide. Yeah, unreal. Yeah, absolutely unreal. I love it. And so all these studios, all these studio execs are like, "All right, so here's what we got to do: black stuff." You know, <laughs> <laughs> like they're not going to understand why it was so good. They're just going to take all the wrong lessons from it. We we, we got to get we got to get Jerry Rice in a cat suit, and we have him running down a field, and he's a superhero receiver, and he's going to. Take over the world. And that save feels the like something. That, assassination attempt. That feels like something that might have actually happened in the eighties or something. Whenever, <laughs> whenever Jerry Rice is playing with Hulk Hogan as the uh, the yeah. villain, of course. Yeah, it sounds sounds akin to the. Uh, oh god, what was that end zone rap? Remember that? What was that called? No, uh, it was a something shuffle, right? The yeah. Bears. Um, <sighs> the booyah shuffle. <laughs> so, Super Bowl shuffle. No, it was a Super, Super Bowl shuffle. Bowl shuffle. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's the kind of thing that the kids today don't have to worry about. They don't have to see that. They have to worry about the dab. The dab, is, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that's a yep. thing. Oh, yeah. and let's see. Uh, has anyone been watching It's Always Sunny? So, you know what? I just discovered that it, that they, uh, they uh, started broadcasting the next season on Hulu or whatever, and I got one episode in. Yeah. And uh, some of the other stuff has that I watch with my wife has, has gotten in front of it, but it's, it's in the queue for the, you know, when I'm by myself, it's yeah. that and Rick and Morty. I'm trying to burn through the last season of Rick and Morty. And then I'll get to always sunny. See, now I, I get to watch Rick and Morty with Ren. So I, uh, I don't know if that's a good idea, man. Hey, we raised her on adventure time. She's already, you know, gone dark side all the way <laughs> at the, uh, at, that's true. You did at the, um, I still owe you a, uh, a princess bubblegum drawing that I you did. Do. That I did. Yeah. Um, so at the, at Pete's coffee the other week, uh, a, a barista who was not my usual one, but was manning the, the nozzles at that particular moment. Uh, that sounded really awkward. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't know exactly why, but I said, I said, um, Maybe I said to someone else, for some reason, just the way I am, the guy that I am, I just randomly blurted out, show me what you got. And then he was not in the conversation, but he's behind the bar, and suddenly he just he just yells, show me what you got. And it was just this thing where he and I both were connected on a level that the other patrons and the manager couldn't understand. So who got fired? No, no one. <clears throat> were you 86 from that Pete's from here on out? Oh, they can't do that to me. <clears throat> Oh, I've been kicked out of pizza keep... several times. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, that, that does seem like a thing to do. You order, you order your you order your coffee with 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 a lot of head and then not enough head, and then you start screaming uh, about the quantity of head. No, it's something about clothing not optional. Clothing yeah. not optional, no pants. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think they say, they discriminate against men in kilts. It's uh... Especially when it's a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, well, or a nice headpiece, you know. <laughs> yeah. Kentucky uh, Derby hat. I'm trying to be original. Did you see that trailer for the that random James Franco movie that I thought was, I was convinced was a fake, a fake, like a vi- fake viral thing for something? The Disaster Artist? No. He made a, he funded a, a uh, Mad Max knockoff called Future World. Nope. After this, with all your copious free time, you go check the trailer for it, and you will be astonished. It's like trauma. 
It's trauma level Mad Max, and it's him and Mila Jovovich and Suki Waterhouse and Suki Waterhouse and Snoop Dogg, and it's like Handycam. It's like it's like it's like Handycam Mad Max. Like they didn't even do much to the vehicles, right? It's mostly just ATVs and stuff. And it's horrible. It looks crazy wrong. And I thought, this has to be fake, right? Those those fake Australia commercials, those or the, the, Dundee, the yeah. Dundee movie that didn't yeah. happen, I wanted that to be real. This feels like it should be a viral for something, and it's not. It's, I don't know what's happening. Uh, I Yeah, I'll go watch it, but... Oof. Well, a lot of that guy's career is he's just doing whatever he wants to do. He's trying to be Shia LaBeouf. He's trying to be the next Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Who wants to do that? Who aspires yeah. to do that? Yeah. Like, like bring up a cardboard sign, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just be famous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with a paper bag on your head. Yep. Yeah, I, I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. Um, so, otherwise, we're basically just holding our breaths until the end of the month when Infinity War comes out. And then you and I and Big K, K Money, Big K. we have yep. to try to stretch out until... Early May, is that right? Didn't we, is that what we said? Yep. Right when yep. I think I'll probably go back to Jakarta. That's when we're going to try and do it. Well, you know, we'll 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 miss you. You son of a bitch. Anyway, I'm so stoked for that. I can't even wait. I can't. So even that, that, that's the other thing that uh, I'm really excited about the timing for Marvel and and for the just in general the excitement carryover from Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully this will it'll be a great experience all the way around. Well, uh, interesting narrative thread that they did where Civil War really piqued your interest in the guy, and then Black Panther expanded that whole mythos and leads directly into Infinity War. I mean, yep. they, did, they did a really good job. Of talk- they didn't need to do any of that. They could have just Infinity War could have been on its own, and people would have been excited. But it was a great build up to sort of fleshing out some of the rest of the parties that were affected beyond just the prime Avengers, Right. I thought yep. that was great. Well, and I, I thought Thor Ragnarok did a, a incredible Absolutely. job as well. I mean, and, and I don't think Thor Ragnarok got the, I mean, obviously with the, the singularity dwarf star experience, that is the black like, Panther. Oh yeah. The, uh, the Thor Ragnarok. I, I freaking love that movie. I probably watched it probably 50 times now. And yeah, uh, the comedic I just value watched it again. Yeah, is just it just blows me away. And <laughs> but it's not just the comedy. Like we talked about it before, but yeah, yeah. it's not just the comedy. It still holds up as an entertaining movie, even mm-hmm. setting aside all of the the irreverence and all that stuff that makes it fun. That helps with the repeat viewing. But it's also, frankly, just a fun movie to watch. It is, and and uh, and and so I watched the fourth time. Just now, this last trip to Japan, and then uh, I may or may not be uh, creating an archival copy at this very minute to watch with my lovely wife. So I'm looking forward yep. to seeing what she what she oh, thinks. I, but Carrie Ann watched it, and she actually enjoyed it. How could Which, she not? You thought she wouldn't? Uh, yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> she she's not a big fan of the the men in tights. Oh, oh, okay. That from that I understand, but I mean. I think that was part of its value was that it transcended, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and Jeff Goldblum, uh, I, the, the man's a natural treasure. He's, I mean, good grief. Did you say he was a, na- a natural treasure? A national Cause, treasure. Because you have so little faith in our in our country and its identity at this point that you're just 
No, he's a, he should be like a poet laureate. Just, uh, just, he's incredible. Right. He should be given like the medal, the the medal of uh, humor or something. I don't know. I almost feel like uh, Ragnarok was overshadowed by Black Panther, but before Black Panther came out, we were all saying this was the visionary Marvel movie that they really needed to move forward. This boy, was the one that really changed things. And boy, were we wrong. Well, I mean, <laughs> we were right. But then it was sort of like, well, this is this is the this is the quirky way. And then Black Panther came and said, oh, also, you could just do straight superhero and do it right. And here is this. So I don't it's know. Just, it's just amazing. I mean, Marvel is just on a tear. It's it's but that's what's perplexing. I don't understand why the TV division is, you know. Well, it's still like Perlmutter. That's why. Yeah. I mean, he's had that. He won't let go. And until he's out, it's going to be divorced in continuity and then divorced in content and style and everything. I Except for Legion. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. That's not in Pearl, Perlmutter's domain. Right. But that, that's what I'm saying. That, yeah, yeah. That that show is uh, wow. Which is. Speaking of. Nice segue to. Our robot review of the recording. <laughs> so we watched we watched the beginning of the second season of Legion. There was actually two episodes available at the time. I only watched one, then I fell asleep. In fact, in the last five minutes, I was having somewhat of a lucid dream. Like I was watching it, but at the same time, I was True. falling asleep. And I felt like even if I was seeing it three in the afternoon, I would have had the exact same response. Um, it was not boredom, but I was just I, I was falling into a deep dark place because of things that were happening um i gotta say holy shit man yeah coming off of the first season and i don't there a lot of people had some questions about whether they were going to maintain the tone would it get old because i you know frankly <laughs> don't you think towards the the second half of the first season that there was a there was some treading of water i mean sometimes he was even in a pool but there was you know it was stretched out a little bit it was stretched out but but then the the last three episodes right. were just i mean incredible and you know i get it with the long season then they're, they're scoping things out especially on the plot development um side of it because they had to introduce a lot of complexity and and try to bring the viewership along for the ride and i, I thought they did a uh, yeoman's job of taking us through this journey especially with how scattershot and uh the first five episodes were. I mean, that was just the full frontal assault of what the fuck is See, going on? Stick. Well, yeah, I mean, in the whole in that whole first season, there was the question of you're watching it, and it was sort of like that art film problem, where you're not sure whether it's genius or just faking it, right? Because like a lot of that, you know, there's you, you can be disjointed and unreliable narrator and and overly stylistic and then you don't have a you know you don't have a, a a thread to hold it together and really it's just pretentious garbage right and so this yeah. was right on the edge of that you couldn't really couldn't really tell for a while like is this going to be a thing or is this going to be just a lot of pretending to be wes anderson and Coen brothers and other people all fused together well i thought it was wes anderson and david lynch yeah david lynch a, a steroid acid combo well, and we talked about last time that we talked about Legion. Um, you guys were one of you. One of you fine friends was talking about uh, the fact that um, it was very internally consistent with his pushing daisies, right? Which yeah. I have not seen. So yeah. I was coming at this pretty fresh. Um, but 
so okay, so we watched the premiere. I really liked the bait and switch in the opening scene because we've seen some promos from promo imagery for this new season, and based on how the finale went with with uh, with uh, what's his name running off with Jermaine Clement, yeah. Um, the fact that uh, the fact that he ran off with the image of her in the car, and you think it's going to set it up to that they are going to be playing the, you know, immediately right out of the gate being, you know, enemy number one, and then to have to find that they are trapped, or 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 more hmm, more accurately, he and the figment <laughs> that is whatever aspect of personality construct that she is, I can't even figure that out anymore. That they are trapped within the within Farouk. That was really awesome, and I love that they're laying in the sun, in this idyllic, you know, you know, sexy people in on their on their floaty in the pool with their cocktail, and it's just this wonderful thing. And they're all sun soaked, and then you and you look close, and they're baking, sweaty baking, mm-hmm. and 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 laughing and crying, <laughs> and he's just constantly being refilled, endless martinis. <laughs> We're trapped, you know. We're trapped. It was amazing, right? Yeah. Well, and it, <clears throat> they really brought it back to the the centrality of the protagonist, right? And right. That this this all this other stuff that's going on, it's really all about him, right? And the the orbits the the character plots go through, and they they go a little deep dive in some of them to give them some more depth, but. Well, think about the fact that the tail end of the first season, there was some real questions about whether any of the characters were real or whether they were all constructs of his mind, right? Uh, So, okay, so this I thought was pretty uh, clever. We're introduced to a new setting that all all of his super friends are working for Section 3, and he has been found in some comatose state and roused and is not fully aware to him it was just overnight or whatever and for them it's been over a year and I thought that was a great mechanism to reintroduce uncertainty in him without necessarily immediately treading over the same ground of I don't know if I can believe what I see and I don't know if anything's real To, to, to do a time gap in amnesia and all of that really interesting narrative about you know <laughs> what that means I thought it was fascinating what a great well, and, idea! And the you know the doubt is, was he really captured or did he just run away? Right, right. Because it's himself. very stylized that he's right. You know, because yeah. that that's what he did in season one. Right, he ran away into himself. He created uh-huh. this whole abstracted reality that was based on um, some of the archetypes that they so elegantly portrayed. Mm-hmm. And and so you don't know if this is uh, another third and fourth wall <clears throat> set up inside his own head. Right. The defense mechanism against, you know, how badly they screwed the pooch with Farouk or uh, or something else. Is there something actually malevolent that's trying to, to exert an influence on them? And I, and I love the whole, I don't, I don't know if we're going to walk through, maybe I'll just follow you through, but there's one point you, that I'll I thought was the, uh, the little crawly, icky mm-hmm. uh, embryonic uh, bird, well, the, uh, the bird, yeah, whatever it was that this uh, the seed of doubt and fear that yeah. then propagates into you know 
psychosis uh, that was just brilliantly done. It was all of the the symbolic imagery of the egg and and birth and then the baby chick, which is all innocence and all this hope and all this, and then it becomes the seed of doubt. And and again, yeah. it's flirting art, art school stuff. But you're absolutely right. Uh, what made it what what made it even better to me was that there was that narrator over it, describing some mm-hmm. of these affects in a, you know, in a, in a in a in an almost clinical way. And that I found really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I love that. Do, so, well, and they kind of took that kind of, <clears throat> that clinical right. approach that they did with the therapist. Um, oh, am I breaking up again? No, you're okay. Keep going. I mean, we're definitely dropping in bandwidth that, because someone's watching Real Housewives of Ben Inkle, West Kansas, somewhere else, a mile down the road, and it's affected the internet. But yeah, but I, I really like the the therapist. Yeah, in season one, and that kind of whole clinical oh, yeah. progression that really forced him to confront some really ugly shit. And it was that same kind of uh, clinical detachment in the narration that was, again, just brilliant uh, script writing, right? Yes. Also, did you note that the... Of course you noted. You note everything, Born Again Blake. But, I mean, uh, yeah, Born Again Blake. I, I doubted myself. You're Born Again Blake. Yes, I am. So... Did you notice, and you did, that his little escape pod was very similar to the amplification pod that they gave him? Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, I loved all the Altered States references, which yep. was great. Um, there, was, <laughs> there was a strange dovetail into other, into other shows that was happening that gave it a deja vu thing for me that was a little surreal. One... Uh, the final season of New Girl just started, and they did a three years future shunt in the premiere, and so that show was doing that. You know, use three years to re- to try to establish some new ground, but also show what hasn't changed. And so that was weird because this is doing a one year shunt, and then also uh, in a recent Modern Family, they're sort of doing a send up of going away to a, a hippie spa. And in uh, one of the characters is in a, a sensory deprivation tank, supposedly meditating. But he's so OCD that he's in there just thinking about all his hopes and fears and, and all of his mistakes. <laughs> and he's just like winding himself up so he comes out twice as stressed as he was when he went in. So anyway, that's a thing. And another thing, and they both relate to what we saw. But yeah, I just uh, the layering—you just never know what's real. Yeah, and uh, what is just uh, abstracted emotional visualization and it's uh especially when they now jump between i don't know what we want to call it the the mental construct that they have the uh, astral plane right the astral plane and then reality and the bridging between the two you just never know and and they haven't they haven't given you any visual cues necessarily that are so obvious that you know when you're in one and not yeah uh Rachel Keller, who plays Sydney Sid Barrett. So, uh, I mentioned this when we were talking about season one, but I, I'm continually impressed by the fact that this show's uh, four female leads are all um, asymmetric with regards to what Hollywood considers to be sort of attractive star power, right? I mean, if you think about it, there's no one in this cast that fits the typical mold of what would be um, cast in a show that is supposed to attract eyeballs, right? Because well, I, I would, but doesn't that apply to both the male and female side? It does, but I was, yeah. but every time I see her, it's 
it initially triggers that reminder to me. I mean, I don't know. Dan Stevens is is kind of a hunky dude. I mean, I, I don't know. I think he's he's fairly hunky, not, but and, not the way he not the way he dresses in this show. Not the way they portray well, him. Well, that's for sure. And his his right. post he does a lot with posture, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, but Anne Aubrey Plaza, I think she's the bee's knees. But there's but she definitely does not um, fit the 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 prototypical or the, I guess the archetypal image of what is supposed to be attractive in Hollywood. Um, but I mean, I think she's uh, she's a million bucks. But yeah. you see, take her and then Amber. What is Amber Mid Thunder? Seems like such a porn star name. But um, she plays uh, one of the Loudermilk halves, right? And then um, and then Jean uh, Smart. I mean, all the way across the board. I guess the 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 mom is or the sister and the mom the sister is a little bit more mainstream. But uh, Katie Asselton. Well, anyway. I guess what I'm saying is every time I see Sid, I'm struck by how she's very beautiful in the face, but she has a very different body shape from what's normally cast. She's not yeah. well, she's she, not plump, she, she's not plump or emaciated. She's not tall or short. She's got one of those like longer she's got a longer torso than than proportionally than her legs, which a lot of humans have. But Hollywood does not forgive that sort of asymmetry. And I know this is she's been in like two or three of his projects, but every time I see her, I'm refreshed because I feel like I'm seeing a real person. Exactly, and and a little bit of an outcast. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And 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 this is this this is also what I think is about the brilliance of the show is that they they give such power and weight to these characters that are all on the fringe. Yeah, right. And and they and they all have either an internal or external deformity. Right. Right, They've, they 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 are all messed up in some fundamental way, and either either internal or external to the you know their their physical presence, and it's just it, it's like the X Men should have been a little bit more of in that kind of um, well, I guess it was all extroverted personifications of it, but you know a little more ordinariness and a little more uh, weirdness thrown in. That I just, I just relish. I just relish it. I want to talk a little bit about that because I, I think about that often when I'm watching the show. You can enjoy this show and not have read any comics, and you can enjoy this show even. I mean, generally, I watch it and I don't think of, of, of Legion and the X Men comics because I didn't really like Legion, and his whole time in the yeah, X Men was a time I didn't read those books. But see, that's that you and I are. Uh, this is like the one striking contracts that we have i love legion mm. well i mean honestly probably didn't give it enough of a shot but i mean yeah but but what i'm saying though is it works even if you're not familiar with that source material it works if you are yeah but well i'm sure there's a large segment of the viewing population that doesn't even know but that's what's book. so great about it because they yeah. try they try this with you watch gifted and i didn't but they've tried this with Ooh. gifted and they've tried it with other other projects where they tr- they strip away the comicness out of the of the property to try to appeal to the mainstream, and they figured they'll already have the fan base, so now we're going to try to grab main, mainstream eyeballs too, which makes a lot of sense. But this is an example where I feel like it really it becomes greater than the sum of its references, right? Yes. Um, but, okay, so what I was getting at was that when I watch this, I think about something, a trend that happened in the comics that I found very, um, very interesting, which was that the the concept of mutants in Marvel going all the way through the or you know the, the you know the sixties and the seventies, it was really just an excuse to ha- it was an excuse to have powers and allowed them and then because they wrote that people were scared of them they weren't scared of the Fantastic Four but they were scared of mutants 
so it gave them an excuse to play into the very important um, discussion about uh, civil rights and everything else, which I really appreciate. Well, and, and, and xenophobia and immigration and the whole thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until the 80s when Claremont wrote this whole thing about the Morlocks living in the tunnels and how the X-Men went down into the tunnels and and discovered this whole, you know, I mean, they were named Morlocks for a reason. You know, this this whole this whole society of outcast mutants that were so grotesque or so weird that they couldn't even be out. They couldn't even hide among the real world. They were just down there permanently. And, you know, it was a, they opened the door into the idea that, um, you know, here's, you know, maybe maybe mutants, as they had been presented thus far, were too mainstream and too, too easy to put in spandex and say, well, that's OK. Right. Right. Well, What's the I real also, difference? Yeah. But I, but I also like the because uh, both the dichotomy here that I found really compelling about Claremont's arc and the, the whole mythos of it or the pantheon during that period of time is that they, they both had these notions of purity. So remember the, and the superiority, the superiority, right? And so the more disfigured you were, the more you belonged to Morlocks. And then they had the other nation state that was all about high tech and beauty and perfection, you know, and, and they were also the same kind of genetic purists in, yeah. in that regard. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. the, it was, it was it was striking and very compelling for those that wanted to go there that all these different causes and all these different philosophies and all these different zealots suffer from the same fundamental flaw that no matter what their perspective is the only one that's right um and, yeah yeah and but but also they i mean as a as a writing mechanism they also used it as a way to i mean I don't know. Maybe I'm applying too much to Claremont, but I also felt like he was making commentary on uh, in the civil rights, in the post-civil rights movement, and the issues with um, people of color in mainstream society, how some people had an easier transition than others if they looked more, you know, frankly, lighter skinned, assimilated well, pretended to be as, as upperly mobile as possible and all that other stuff, right? If they played that game... It was easier for mainstream white America to accept them. But if they maintain their culture and if they retain that renewed interest, you know, that post roots in, in, interest in 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 African culture and their and their origins, then they were considered dangerous or volatile or risky to mainstream society. That was all over the place in the 80s. Right. So to me, the Morlocks, Absolutely, that, that yeah. whole story was all about, you know, the, the, that same discussion that was happening in, and not just in black culture, but in other cultures too, in gay culture too, right? It's the the one the the pretty the pretty ones that are are attempting to fit in versus the ones who are attempting to be their own society. But what I thought was great about that is that you get through the the painful nineties uh, and you get into the early aughts and the stories that were being told about the mansion really focused on how many weird and interesting and less useful, uh, you know, powered mutants were being introduced into that school. So it became about the, the, the X-Men were now the teachers and they're teaching kids who don't have obvious, they're not just all characters that were written about, you know, punching other people. There, you know, there's a whole host of really weird X Men or mutant characters in the early aughts that that traded on the on the concept that the Morlocks, 
the Morlock society has come back it, it so much so that it's come back into the main, into the world. And these are the people who need shelter and training and help, right? Yeah, so yeah. that's what well, Legion feels like to me. Well, yeah, but, but also I think to me, you know, we're probably going way down the rabbit hole here, but um, why not? There was an, there's an element of tribalism and an affinity group that created this philosophy of us versus them. Yep. Right. And a lot of these things, and especially the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, um, the Morlocks and everything else that they, because of what they've experienced, they came together and they found a group that they identified with. And then they, be, they in certain ways, became what they despised about the broader culture. They, they manifested in like striking back. Uh, but they, in, in that process, they became a twisted version of what put them there. Um, yeah, I can see well. that. It, and then, and then what I, and then to me, the, the X-Men was all about, um, and then that's why I resonate with it so much. And why it's my, it's my favorite comic book of all time is that it's this diversity through strength and strength through protecting weakness. Yeah, for sure. Right. And, and that, uh, it, and also Spider-Man had the same thing, right. With mm-hmm. great power comes great responsibility and all this other stuff. So to me, that, that that was, and also being very human and relatable at the same time. And um, to me, that that's the real power of that of that period of time when they were going through that arc. And the New Mutants, right, that that was a real strike into all the different, um, I'll say tropes, but, you know, these stereotypical imageries of, of ethnic diversity and then coming together and being stronger than they ever were apart. Um, well, this show feels a lot more like a little bit old, like graduated New Mutants, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, in fact, yeah. at the beginning, I thought it was the New Mutants in a, yeah. in a twisted version with Legion, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's what I find so engaging about it is that all these people have powers. Well, almost all of them have powers, but they're non they're not obviously useful ones. I mean, in a way, the way they've written Sid, she's not a character from the comics, right? No, no. The way they've written her, she is a bit of a rogue cipher right yeah because she has the don't touch me thing and and uh some self-esteem issues and some other stuff but at the same time where rogue often would be written with this sort of false bravado um sid is a very powerful aggressive character Mm -hmm. like like there's this great thing that she does at the end of that first episode where uh uh I think it was Gene Smart's character says to her, you know, do you trust him or whatever? And then she's like, well, he's my man. And granted yeah. that that's the, that's, um, that's, that's, that's a back to a different style of speaking. And mm-hmm. I know Noah Hawley's playing around with, with not only genre, but you know, cultural affectation over time. I mean, there's a lot of funny stuff happening here that Gotham pretends to do, but you know, it was also a statement. It was like a very aggressive thing. Like, well, he's he's fucked up, but he's my fucked up, right? I don't right. know. There's something very powerful about that character, even as insecure as she is. Well, yeah, but but she she only has that self doubt when she's usually by herself. True, right? When she's in a group or um, in a different interactome, she exhibits much different tendencies than she does when she's vulnerable in very isolated events. Um, and the but there was another side of it as well that uh, Gene Smart did. I mean that that actress is awesome, and yep. this uh, this this arc of it in the in just the first episode was tremendous about how 
uh, all these superheroes and all these people who feel that they have to save the world or it all relies on them they always go away right right. and and they and they don't they love the world more than they love their significant other yeah and and you know being married to james bond really kind of has to suck because he's going out in the world saving it and then you know all the adulation and um uh, fame and ego that comes with it, and right, it's hubris, and, and, right, right, it's hubris, and 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 then and she tells him this, and then he still goes off and fucks it up. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, 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 uh, and so that was a really complex narrative that was again um, really well done. I really liked that Sid was pra- was practicing. It was kind of a surreal scene, but she was she was petting a cat and basically practicing. Yeah transfer transference to another species so she was switched with the cat while she was doing that yep that was well, now, did, do you think that she's trying to to learn how to control it more so that she can interact more she's learning how to take it to her advantage uh either tactically or strategically i almost felt that she was hmm i almost felt that it was like it, it was like an alcoholic taking a, just one drink. Like yeah. she was, she was, she felt the need to have a contact that is so difficult for her to do. So she was taking it out on that cat. <laughs> right? so not feeling, and not feeling any guilt about it, right? And not feeling guilt about it because yeah. when, um, when autonomy comes in, yeah. I mean, he has a thing about, it. he's like, wait, what do you, you know, what are you doing with that cat? I'm practicing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm practicing. Um, so, so because I still draw back to the first season where she was basically the critical weak link, right? That allowed everything to go that that enabled the everything going south. Yep. And it so to me it was is she practicing to try and make sure that doesn't happen, or that she'll be more in a position to control it if it does, right? Yep. I am super into Jermaine Clement being on the show. Oh. He blew me away in the last season when he shows up as a lounge, you know, like this with this weird loungy affect that goes, that goes Major Tom and like all well, stuff. especially with the deep diver suit the and that old suit. box that he's living. In. I mean, yeah. that... and then he gets out and he's in a lounge suit. You know, it's like everything about that was just so surreal and I loved it. But he, as an actor, he has tended to veer into very strange territory. Um, you know, he's done a lot of voiceover for, or like, you know, musical stuff for Disney and some, and then he's been in other projects where, he, you know, it's playing up that crooner, that the, 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 the musical background he had with, with, uh, the Flight of the Concords. Flight of the Concords. Yep. But on Flight of the Concords, he was not, um, a force of ego. He was, he was weirder. They were both weirder on that show. Um, and in a lot of his post Concords career, He's had a bravado that sometimes backfires to me a little bit, doesn't read right. Uh, and then on this, it's like he's got this swagger and confidence, but it's actually being undermined by the fact that he's trapped or that he doesn't, you know, that he's not quite there. And uh, it, it's it's worked perfectly. Well, uh, Aesthetically, yeah. as well as, you know, the way he's presenting himself. I just love watching him. Yeah. Well, to me, he... Uh... And this is probably just every time I see him, I put him in the flight of the Concords or yeah. uh, or what we do in the shadows. Sure, you know uh, that no matter what, it's a, it's like Jeff Goldblum. I mean, yeah. Jeff Goldblum can be in any role, but I'll still you know fuck it's Jeff Goldblum. Um, 
And so God, he would fold into the show like without even blinking. Oh, well, I think I think it, it had to come down with timing that Jermaine Clement was available and Jeff Goldblum was committed to uh, <laughs> you know uh, to I, other projects. But <clears throat> I had the, a I had a fever dream idea a, a while ago. I think it was after a Ragnarok viewing, one of the many. But I had this idea that you it would have been great to see this as a skit or something. But I like to imagine. Goldblum playing different roles in the same movie. Oh yeah, like imagining him alternate casting and him just playing other characters in the same movie. And yeah, it, him and playing. It's always good, no matter what I imagine. Oh yeah, because I mean, you can put him as Bruce Banner and he'd still right. fucking kill right. it. Right, right, it's, right. Oh, I love it. I just I, I could totally see it. Every character I could see him doing it. Yeah, uh, but uh, back to Jermaine, he is one of those weird. Uh. I mean, look at his uh, filmography, and it's just all over the fucking place. Oh, yeah. And like, uh, like what is it, Men in Black twenty three, uh, right? Where he was the alien with the swagger, and yeah, it is it is weird because it's it's kind of this uh, pseudo bravado, mm-hmm. and you don't you're not quite sure if he's doing it to be satirical or if he's or, believing it, right? Or if he's really trying to change uh, how people see him in the world. Well, and 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 you're and you're dead on with that because one of the things that is very apparent in this show that hasn't been apparent before to me is that he's he's filled out, he's worked out, and he's filled out from being a rather skinny guy when he was younger. He he's 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 muscular, you know, and muscular enough. Like he's fit. He's like he's like dad fit. You know what I mean? Like he looks he looks good, but he's he's filled out. He. He's he way looks, more dad fit than me. Well, yeah, but he and me too. But what I'm saying is, he looks like he can comfortably be in the short shorts, laying around, uh, you know, on the thing with her. That, that, was a great shower. that was a great shower scene. I mean, the the the, the poolside scene. Yeah. That was... But you know what I'm saying? Like he now yeah. he actually has enough hunkiness in him that if he, it, it's easy to see him actually b- believing that he is a loungy rock star do you know what i mean or, as an yeah, actor or, but, but he's not or, or or he just he doesn't believe a fucking thing about it he knows it's all bullshit right and he's pulling it off until somebody calls him on it right. right so another thing this episode did um really well and it was a callback to a to last season but what was was done equally as as uh enjoyably was another dance sequence oh that was uh that was quite possibly the, it, it was a high watermark, right? The best dancing I've I've ever witnessed. I mean, outside of perhaps uh, Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Men in Tights. I think it could be <laughs> Men in Tights. Uh, no, but I mean, like to take to take the concept of a dance battle and make yeah. it an astroplane battle was fucking brilliant. It was no, the, brilliant. The, the, yeah, the dance off was just it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and, it uh, came out, and it came literally out of left field. Just it, out of, oh, it was great. It was absolutely great. I think that the, uh, the construct of the director of district three is really interesting and weird. And it'll so, be, it'll be compelling. It'll be compelling to see if, if he, if there's more there, there, or if it's just art, you know, artifice, I don't know. Yeah. So that, that was my biggest uh, concern out of this, this shift. Mm-hmm. In setting, like I guess it's what division one through ten, right? Uh, and 
that that change in setting and that now they've want, gone away from the R&D wing and now they're in like the Homeland Security wing or whatever. Right. Um, I get it, but, but I, I worry that it will turn into something S.H.I.E.L.D.-like and completely predictable in the plot twists. Mm. And, and are they trying to harness and control this individual as a super weapon or like they, you know, you would expect. Right. Uh, right. Or is there, is there something more malevolent about it? Well, autonomy uh, even references yeah. the fact that they're they're that they moved into section three primarily because now that Farouk's out in the world, he's priority number one. Right. Although they made a couple of right, they one or the other characters made a couple of references to the fact that they got sidetracked a little bit by this mystery chattery chattery virus thing, non virus psycho psychological that was, thing that happened. That was that was creepy as shit. Creepy as hell, right? Yeah. It it definitely has a joker uh, uh, affect to it, but in a, yeah. in a much creepier way. And and how long do you do you think it's going to take to figure out that Farouk's back in in him? I don't know. Do you think he is? I think he is. I think there's a seed there that. Yeah. Right. I mean, because come on, how long were they? You know, symbionts. Yeah. Um, how, how is it that Farouk? I mean, I know the answer is obvious. It's quality. But how is it that Farouk is more compelling as a? historic you know like an old 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 mutant than apocalypse was it's a very similar sort of concept right it's like oh this guy's been around for hundreds of years and he's been you know well, doing this and this and here we are <laughs> he's much well, more interesting to me than apocalypse was because he doesn't dress up as robocop yeah with with the little uh with pipe dreads and all that yeah i just don't, i don't understand yeah well, where did they get the tubing and the metallurgy but anyway <laughs> the um the uh you know, I mean, uh, okay, we're just going to, I have to fragment my brain around that. But the, um, I think they made it kind of this weird combination of uh, a Stephen King yeah. character. Yeah. And that most of it was mental as opposed to anything else. Yeah. And, and they made it more of a play on everybody's id. Yeah. As, as the primary manipulation and entry point. And so I thought it was just... As opposed to this, you know, this this construct where it's an actual physical apocalypse, right? A thing. This is more representative of what's inside all of us that we have to deal with every day. Uh, that can that can twist us and you know turn us down into the downward spiral of the Dunkin' Donuts and celery juice. So, I, I think it was the way that it was executed and portrayed makes the difference. I think you're right. I mean, it has a different. Um, it has a completely different affect where apocalypse was was presented as sort of like this this uh this super despot and farouk is a very insidious viral thing they're you know they're presented completely completely opposite in terms of how they're how they're how they're supposed to be a force to be to force to be feared coming from your past that you don't understand right farouk's a lot scarier because it's you know it doesn't i don't know well, no, because because we because the seed for Farouk is in all is in everyone, right, right, and it's it's sort of like a Pennywise, the clown was a telepath like Xavier, and yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, right. And, and, and could just play fuck you uh, smorgasbord um, anytime you want. So, I'm curious about why uh, General What's His Face has. These Rob, um, not Robert Plant. What was that guy's name? 
from the 80s, Addicted to Love. He had those famous Robert Palmer. Robert Palmer. Why does he have all these Robert Palmer uh, minions wandering around with mustaches on? Like, what is even... It, it gave me a little bit of a red flag because it felt like that, once again, um, you know, arts, art school, you know, trying to be different, kind of. Uh, yeah, it was like a David Lynch uh, kind of plot twist, right? Yeah. Uh, or, or just this shocking thing just because yeah, it's just to be weird, right? Okay. And it also kind of gives credence to the notion that this is all in his head. And, you know, midpoint through the season, it's going to be completely shifted, just like the nut house in uh, season one. Right. So, you don't know, but, but visually it was pretty cool. So I'm just uh, along for the ride. And, so, I, and, I loved, and I loved Robert Palmer in the 80s. <laughs> so do you, uh, what, what do you, what's your prediction? What do you think is going to happen on this, on this journey in season two? Because chasing Farouk around only to have Farouk end up uh, have, having already reinserted himself, that's 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 like a very sort of, uh, I don't know, it's like plot A. But I want to know, I'm kind no, of it, curious it, as to what the bigger it, picture is. No, it's Iron Man 2. Yeah, <laughs> don't say that. Right. Well, yeah, because let's hope it's a lot better than that. Um, the... Uh... You know, I don't know. This show, in as we as I experienced in season one, I thought I knew what was going on, and boy, I was completely wrong. So, I don't know. I think they could take it. They can basically take it in any direction, and I'll still be happy. I would like to see them go more into. I, I don't want to do any more of the background stuff. I think that's kind of where it starts yeah. to drag and, and yeah, elongates. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to see kind of the, the bigger picture stuff about what everybody's motivations are and then, and then how that plays out. And, you know, this, this, uh, sector three, what is it? <laughs> um, that is one thing that I think that they could use as a, as a good plot foil to take it any way that they want. The secretary. Yeah. Which part? What do you mean? Oh, no, the uh, District 3 or whatever that... Oh, uh, what is oh it? you're talking about General What's-His-Name with the basket yeah. on his head. Yeah, so I, think... I was thinking that the basket is such an obvious thing uh, that it means that whoever's under there is going to be familiar in some way. Right. Right. And and so my brain was racked with wondering who who it might be under there. And a character we've met before and have forgotten or a, or a character that exists already. Right. You know, Or, or, or it could be him. Or it could be him, yeah, right? In some, in, right. In, in some kind of fractal. So, I just hope it doesn't turn into a, a who shot Jr. Yeah, trope, right? That's a or a multiverse trope. That's what I just. Uh, well. I was clicking down the uh, the K hole with Amber Mid Thunder, trying to figure out if I had seen her somewhere before. The carry. Mm-hmm. Um. Again, again, that's a very that's an attractive but exotic looking actress who's very fit. But they cover in trench coats and 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 slacks and and make her much more, um, um, you know, physically confident, but um, but very introverted. introverted. So so they definitely cat. They're they're definitely portraying her against type, I guess, in a way. And I was going through her 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 thing and um, Native American actress, right? It says her first role was it was in Sunshine Cleaning. So I've been trying to. Um, huh. I'm trying to remember, you know, opposite Alan Arkin, and I'm trying to remember her character in it. 
couldn't huh. find any photos. Her father is also a big um, Native American actor who's been in a lot of stuff as well. And you saw... It's not West Studi, is it? No, he's Jim Midthunder. But okay. um, Jim, James. But uh, also she was in... Um, she was in... Uh, uh, she's in Longmire, which I have... I have on my list, but I haven't watched. But also, she's in Hell or High Water, which is one of my homework assignments. So wait, who? who okay. Oh, I know who she was. Yeah, she was one of the uh, uh, the supporting cop roles at the very beginning. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So you've got to see that movie, man. Hell oh, or no, High Water. Hell or High Water is uh, it, it shocked all of us about how good it was. I, you know what? It's it's the first movie on the list. It's the next one to see for me. So, in fact, I brought it with me. Um, well, anyway, long story short, didn't have time. I was out too late in Japan, so I didn't watch it. <laughs> I had planned on it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Saki does weird things to people. Okay. Uh, yes. So um, if you were to apply a red tentacle to this episode, what would it be? Red tentacle being our favorite moment in the episode. The or our favorite off. thing. The, the dance, dance off. off. What about a bad octopus? Hmm. Least favorite thing. Um, that's really difficult, um, isn't it? <laughs> uh, wow. I guess it, I guess it was more of uh, I, th- I think what I was getting tired of was this whole existential angst between them about are we for real? Are we not? Is it a relationship? Is it not? That kind of thing is like I mean, come on. Yeah, we're 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 we're, we're past that point so i like cherry pie now yeah oh <laughs> okay so all right yeah. I'll, I'll go in reverse order so my bad octopus was the effect of the orb that he supposedly gets sucked into and taken away the show has been very good about using its budget wisely um we talked about that last time too they don't have a huge budget but what they do they make it feel very cinematic and that felt very mm, like WB, like it just didn't look good. No, it was more taken it, away. So when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh my god, they must have ripped this thing off from Doctor Who." Yeah, it felt very Doctor Who, didn't it? Ugh. Yeah. Like the like the daylight where you can see the the yeah. night. Yeah. Uh, the daylight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, and then my red tentacle, which is it's a sim, it's similar. It's it's kind of a spinoff of yours. But I have to tell you, I couldn't get enough of this if I tried. Um, it was during the dance off. Bill Irwin as as Carrie Loudermilk, who's in the lab while he's in while uh, while um, David is in the tank having his astral battle. Um, Bill Irwin was his character's clicking a bunch of stuff on an old timey switchboard, like he's plugging in uh, auxiliary cables here and there, and he's trying to like fine tune the the enhancement of the experience for David. Right. Well, as soon as the dance off starts. He starts pulling out these incredible moves. Like, I was just drinking it in like a, you know. No, it, it was like, like I was drinking it, the boot, man. I couldn't yeah, believe how cool yeah. he was. Yeah, but so to me, I still include that as part of the yeah. dance-off, right? Sure, but that specifically about it was just killing me that he was pulling all those, you know. He just was amazing. And I granted, I think there was some some doubling in there, but also sometimes you could see his face. I don't know. I choose yeah. to believe it's him. It was amazing, well, it's, though. It's the same thing to me when you, uh, if you didn't know anything about Christopher Walken and then you see the mm-hmm. Fat Boy Slim video, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Did you do that? Yeah. Uh, same yeah. kind of thing. And now we're left with why did he do that? Why did he waste that on Fat Boy Slim? But 
You play another if, fat, if, fat boy if, Slim song. If, if you recall, Fat Boy Slim was pretty darn hot back then. You're right. You're right. I choose. I choose not to remember those days. So just, just like it Chris doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold. Well, you know. You know. There was that whole "I lost me to meth" thing. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, so Legion uh, Season 2, Episode 1, lots of promise for the future. I think it's going to get weirder and weirder and weirder. And I really hope it... I hope the narrative becomes more fractured and confusing and creepy and unsettling rather than being mainstream. I hope it does fall apart. I hope that this construct of the beginning of this season where they're part of an organization and they're doing all this and Melted Face is their liaison and they're for they're like a team. I hope that I hope that devolves very quickly into entropy because it's a lot more interesting when you don't know what's going on. Well, or or I think it could also be a great vehicle for some uh, complexity and twists, and that there could be some of that original team that buy into that, right? Yeah. And then there are some that are that don't. Yeah. And so that friction between the characters, especially if it's between the two main ones, could be really powerful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I hope it doesn't descend into some kind of self-congratulatory uh, miasma. The like, gosh, we're so smart. Look at us. Uh, we can do anything we want. Um, kind of thing. Yeah. I, I hope it. I hope it doesn't become one of those exercises that that goes for two and a half seasons and they kill it in season three because no one understands what the heck is going on. I agree. Cool, man. So that was good. I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of that. Speaking of looking forward to seeing, it seems like a perfect time for this particular session to talk a little plan plundering. Mm -hmm. What are you looking forward to, Blake? What's on your, what's on the docket for you besides all the shows I've told you to watch that you haven't watched? Oh, Pacific Rim 2, of course. No, that you already saw that something new. I did. I was being ironic. Oh, okay. Um, so beyond the obvious, Beyond the obvious, yes. Uh, let's see. Hmm. Rampage. <laughs> Rampage. Rampage. No. Rampage. No, no, no. Rampage. Um, Are you going to see Rampage? No. Uh, From what I read, it's not. It's not a Jumanji. No, it, <laughs> it, it 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 looks. It's a Baywatch. <laughs> yeah, it it looks like a a, a Riddick kind of uh, yeah. project thing. Um, gosh, uh, I've been so fixated on the singularity that uh, my antenna are down. I mean, I could do another easy out and say, "Well, Ant Man and Wasp," and um, that would just be the the typical. Trap, yeah. I guess, yeah. uh, The Expanse, which I hope that we'll be talking about soon, um, right. of course. Yeah. Mm. And Deadpool 2. I'm, I'm curious to see if it's a flaming hot meatloaf mess uh, that folks have predicted because of the reshoots. So I'm, I'm more of a scientific curiosity about uh, that whole thing. Well, it's interesting that the first, the first buzz was the reshoots because it's not funny or it didn't work. And then the next day it was... Actually, the reshoots are because they're refining and beefing up the role of some of the other characters because it was so well-received in the thing. So many of these shows have... I mean, uh, major reshoots are now a part of movie making. 
So well, sometimes but, I question when it's when it hits the media as, as a shocker that there's reshoots because that doesn't always mean something's wrong. Right. Well, to me, it just means you get better extras when you buy yeah. the film. Right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, we got to shoot the spoof reel. That was that's not right. so good. Come back. That's right. So my and point, and, and, yeah. and maybe and maybe we'll give uh, Ryan Reynolds a CGI mustache just to poke you know. Oh man, I hope uh, they do. A Harry Cavill in the eye. I hope they do. That would be amazing. Um. It's also funny that he's got that side that side uh, battle going on with uh, Hugh Jackman. That he's been that's not forever. a side battle. That's a total bromance, dude. It is, but it's funny that that, that keeps happening. Like, uh, you know, celebrities using Twitter for good. Yeah, but I think it's I think it's the same uh, trap that they're trying to create a little buzz about it. The, yeah. the same way that the same way that. Uh, uh, the Rock and Vin Diesel were supposedly at odds. I mean, come what? That yeah. is such an obvious play on a WWE advertising yeah. schema. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, which one's the face though, right? <laughs> which, which, <laughs> which one's the big spoon? Which one's yeah. the little spoon? No, I don't remember. In uh, I, I listened to a whole podcast on wrestling. It was on the Do Go On show, and they were talking about how the hero is called the face, and then the bad guy is called something else and i can't remember what it was but yeah there's totally they're totally the, playing those roles yeah the face and the ultimate warrior right yeah well yeah the face was the good guy and there's some other name for the bad guy yeah. um so for me my super sweet plan plundering is very simple unlike you since i stream even though i pay the same amount of money that you do because i don't have my cable box hooked up i have to wait an extra two days to see shows on sci-fi as i've come to learn so when i tuned in last night uh with my beverage and my little snack and i was all comfy cozy and i had a cat on my lap and i'm like ready to start expanse and i get fuck all because they delayed it by two days so so in my plan plundering number one is expanse on friday night somehow i'm going to get to that because i'm you know i'm like buzzing thinking about watching what they're going to do at the beginning of this and you can't say I, it. don't say it, it. It, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say anything uh, hey side note on expanse here's the thing uh you know i finished all the books finally in the shorts mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. um you know sometimes you read along and, and you have a mental construct about a thing and then then later on so usually it's like the movie some adaptation treats it a different way and then you're like whoa is that how you know that's not how i it's not how i imagined it right or or it is like game of thrones yeah, yeah sure um, that ten minute video of uh, J- what is it George R R Martin complaining that the the Iron Throne isn't big enough. Anyway, this well is... for him for him to sit in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you did. That's a thing. It's the um, elephant in the room. Yes. So so for me, my shock was there was a reference in the last piece that I read. So the last short or whatever of having read the entire. Uh, the entirety of this this collection of books, mm-hmm. I realized the entire this entire time I thought bulbs right the 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 liquid delivery system on the ships I thought that they were pouches kind of like when you buy a Coke in Mexico and nope. they take a plastic bag and they cinch it at the top put a straw in it which makes sense in a zero g environment that it would be a soft containment except system. for the venturi nozzle effect. But you me. get in a bulb and you don't get it in a pouch so much. But anyway. Tell me more. So if you have a bulb and it's like a, the 
the mass that you can squeeze and yeah. force the fluid through, then you get a better uh, velocity of the stream coming out of the nozzle. Where a pouch, it just it went. You'd have to exert a lot more force to get the same effect. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, the the quote in specific said. She dropped the bulb. It clattered against the table, rolled, and dropped to the ground, falling closed so that it kept even a drop of tea from escaping. So it's hard enough that it maintains its shape when it's dropped, and it clatters, which means mm-hmm. it's hard. And I'd never once imagined it with any sort of rigidity. So that's yeah. a, that's a thing about uh, me. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I, but there are there are certainly a two liter bottle of Coke. Yeah, uh, which is you know a squeezable polyester terephthalate. Um, of what? Of what? Of a flexible polyester terephthalate, right? You can squeeze it right when it's open. Mm-hmm. Um, if you drop that on the floor, it's going to create a clatter. Yeah, totally. It's just it was the first time reading reading in the books in the entirety of the books that I got the sense that that wasn't a softer, um, sort of more amorphous oh, yeah. shape that was holding the liquid in. So that was yeah. the thing. I just want to tell you. I just want to tell it to you because at the time, it was significant enough to me that I wrote it down. So, well, no, no, it's, it's the same thing with me in two thousand one, where they they serve space sandwiches. Yeah, <laughs> right. Do you do you understand the particles that would form and <laughs> drip all over the place? Yeah, and, yeah. Right. I, yeah. A space sandwich, really? <laughs> what? Wasn't that on Pan Am though? <laughs> <laughs> um. So. No, it's actually while they're on the moon going right. out to the monolith where they break out the sandwiches and You're like, right. hey, let's, let's contaminate the... Uh, the that, that's the right. Ham. Yeah. yeah, so my plan plundering is to get to Expanse tomorrow night. Uh, also continuing Legion, because I know I have that at least one more episode, which I might yeah. even watch after this. But um, and, uh, and, then, and then, of course, it's the lead up to the, 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 the big event at the end of the month for sure. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm living in a like an eclipse mode where I just can't see anything else except for the obvious. I tried not to watch the final trailer, and then I failed, and I watched it and saw a few more things, but not too much more. Things. I think I watched it yeah, like a hundred times, and I watched it in reverse. I watched it like in Spanish. It's uh... a. <laughs> did you see the Did you see the Iron Spidey uh, stand up? Yes, that was photographed. Not that surprising, really. It's kind of reassuring to see that they took that. What I'll be interested in is if they got the number right, because I was really aggravated in the comics that they deliberately, deliberately or accidentally effed up the number of legs. I mean, that irritates me. But you're you're being surprisingly restrained with the uh, swear words tonight. I think the beer has created a dapper gentleman out of you. (laughs) Okay, so then let's have some fucking run rum fueled recommendations. Do you have any mm. rum-fueled recommendations for things you've seen or read or enjoyed recently that you want to share? Well, I'm trying to remember what has gone before, so I'm not redundant. It doesn't um, really matter. You um, so I don't, know, I don't know if you've come across this, but The Magicians is kind of like my guilty pre- pleasure. It's kind of is like it good? The, yeah, it's kind of like the Beverly Hills 90210 <laughs> version of... Uh, well, here's my problem, and it kind of it's it's sort of like the the the, the trope about the advertising that works in reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, Sci-Fi Channel forces uh, ads, no matter what you do, you got to watch their ads, and they generally will show you the same ad over and over again. Uh, watching Expanse in previous seasons, they would just repeatedly show you the same commercial of the magicians over and over again to the point where I didn't want to see it, but I should. Is that what you're saying? No, you should. It, it, it's it's just the 
it's not serious. It's not going to teach you anything. Right. Uh, but it's just fun to watch. And and I will tell you that the uh, the I, I guess I'm I'm really hooked by good screen the scripts. Yeah. And the writing on that show is as good as Buffy. Ooh, that's a good sign. Yeah, it is really. It's got that same irreverence, and it actually has <laughs> referrals to Buffy plot twists and arcs, and even the, huh. they had a musical episode where, like, oh, this is a Buffy musical episode. Huh. Um, and so they they really, um, all right, it's really well done for for what it is. Right? Well, so you last time, or uh, one of the last times, you had an, a, another similar um, surprising recommendation for something that I thought I just assumed would be garbage. Counterpart. You, no, you had, no. Everyone knows oh. that's going to be amazing. You give me a break. Yeah, what was hey, it? I'm going to add that to my plan plundering. Thank you very you much. Um, my queue for viewing is so long, I can't even. All right, so like your, your like, queue is so long, it's become ba- an R. Like Bosch, <laughs> like Bosch is still on there, you know. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, so Freaks and geeks. <laughs> that is. Oh, I still sometimes go back and watch that whole thing because that's not You're hard. So good. You're um, so- but you had said in a previous one, you were like, oh, I'm watching Gifted, or we're watching Gifted. And mm-hmm. I was like, "That's." I thought that was going to be garbage. So now that you've seen the full season, is did it pan out or no? No, it's garbage. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a total, it's a PC storm. But you were enjoying it at one point. Yeah, like the, the first three episodes, and then it turned into... Heroes? Um, no, Heroes I liked a lot more than how this turned out. It oh, really? was, uh, it was awful. <sighs> That's too bad. Yeah. Such it, such promise. It turned into a simulacrum of, of like, uh, what was it? Um, the two brothers that are hunting demons. Uh, uh, par- supernatural. Super, supernatural. It yeah. turned into a dumber version of that. It was awful. Well, okay. I have a couple of rum-fueled recommendations for you, sir, to add to your list of things you have not watched that I've told you to watch. Okay. Uh, I finished Jessica Jones Season 2, which you need to finish so that we can talk about it yeah i'm on i'm on episode one okay because yeah there's been mixed response to it in in the sort of in the reviews and stuff like some say oh it was really good and some say oh it's it's derivative and i'll be interested on your hot take when you've finished watching it Um, fresh take for hot cakes fresh take for hot cakes um they just announced tonight actually that season three will be filming so that's good that will be the first i think that's the first no, I'm not sure if Daredevil has been official that they have a third season. So I think this is the first of the Netflix Marvel shows to get a third season. Is that right? Maybe. Probably. Maybe. I, 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 the, the, well, I'd be interested to see because the most of the critiques that I've I've read are that it it it's too long. It drags on too long, and it's not exciting enough. And huh, I you know I honestly felt like it was more compelling. I, I will I will say that they make a concerted effort that, to make it not bigger, bolder, better than the last season. It's very internally consistent. Yeah. But I found it that it was a, it was compelling storytelling without having to have a giant big bad in it. Yep. So there's there's that. So it'll be well, other, other, other than you can already see uh, whether she's going to self destruct and self detonate. Uh, yeah. I think this is this is more all about whether she's actually going to get her shit together or not. Yeah, and and they're not having the the manic you know blowouts and booze outs at least not in the first episode. But what I really liked is how they took it, the relationship with her sister, and yeah. really made it 
a lot more confrontational. And this That's is going to be the whole season is going to be about that. Yeah. Um, uh, which, which, which is very interesting because they do set up, I mean, just the fact that she's Trish Walker, they set up in the first season, all of the promise that, Oh, Oh, she'll one day be Hellcat. Right. And so, yeah. you know, season two has a lot of, um, you know, has a lot to say about what happens when you're the super powered friend and the friends and family around you aren't. And right. whether there's a vacuum there, especially if you don't, you don't seem to want it <laughs> and other right. people do. Right. But it's a, but it is a very family oriented season. There's a lot of um, statements it makes about it. And I have to say, I, it's a, something that I found compelling on more than I gotta stop using that word, but you know, more than a few Marvel Netflix shows have been about family. Well, yep. you know, many Marvel, good Marvel shows, many good Marvel stories are about family, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely something. It's, a, it's yeah. a perfect example. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, it, you know, no, no, actually Luke Cage not. being a no, fine. <laughs> Luke Cage being a father figure and, and, you know, some, some of the other family dynamics that are in, in these shows, Punisher is a good example. It's, it's 100% family. Yeah. Anyway, well, but what's, what's, but what's interesting to me is that um, there's many different manifestations of the family arc, right? And yeah. there's a lot that can be done wrong, right? And a lot that can be done right. And I, um, Jones is one of those shows where I think they got it really right. I also think it's great that when she walks out about town, everybody thinks she's just like this badass psycho killer. Um, and that first episode when she's doing the pizza. Right, the cheating investigation. It was so, so sad. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. It was. Uh, I, I wish Daredevil would have had more like that. That you know, you're this lawyer, and you just get these just absolute train wrecks. Like Better yeah. Call Saul. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Right. Like how how great would it be if um, Murdoch was defending, you know, <laughs> Walter White? It yeah. would have been. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. yeah. Right, if he had a client that was actually um, challenging to be to represent, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm also enjoying an ongoing the ongoing new season of Silicon Valley, which we touched on at the beginning. Um, I love that, the hell out of that, that show. That show is just it is so good. I mean, it's it's still it remains as concise and cleverly written and well acted as it's ever been. I mean, yeah, and they jump a Shark Tank every episode and still pull it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's fantastic. So yeah, and then um, another thing I was going to mention. It's not. Really, I'm not sure if this is a recommendation or just a maybe. This fits more into our um, our scurvious second look segment that we occasionally do. But I had an occasion to go back and rewatch Thor: The Dark World, uh-huh. and I did so because I only watched it once. It's one of the few Marvel movies I only saw in the theater once, and then never watched it again. And then it got a, bad, a lot of bad rap. From people, especially once Ragnarok came out, it was like, "Oh, well, this is the, this is the antidote to the, to the, to the, to the pretentiousness of the first Thor movies, Shakespearean stuff with Kenneth Branagh, and then the overly dramatic stuff of Dark World, and then so this is the big, this is the big antidote." And I thought, well, I, I, I oddly couldn't remember a lot of Dark World. I had like imagery that was dark and gray and mm-hmm. Londony and weird, red clouds, but I couldn't. I couldn't piece it all together in my mind as to whether I liked it or not. I couldn't decide, but I didn't remember disliking it the way people seem to. So I rewatched it on the plane on the way to Japan. And I have to tell you, I enjoyed it just fine. Yeah. It's I, not I, great, but it's not bad. Right. I, I think it, it, 
uh, to me, the big uh, the big reveals were the the deepening of the complexity and relationship between Thor and Loki. Yep. Right. Yep. I think that I think it still did a good job of uh, uh, Thor and uh, Jane. Right. Yep. I, and I and I thought it was pretty humorous. I thought they still yeah, had a lot of yeah. self self deprecating stuff in it. And uh, Skeleton Skarsgård running around naked in Stonehenge is something that you just yep. never see enough of. Well, um, and also um, Natalie Portman was always when she declined to come back to do future Marvel stuff, and it was kind of this thing. But did she? Because I don't. I, I think. She, well, yeah, she might sneak, sneak say that it's open, right? Yeah, yeah, she could sneakily appear in one of these new ones because because going back her, in time. Yeah. yeah, her career hasn't you know been you know. Well, but okay, but but what I'm saying is, what I kind of forgot about was that she was a really, really fun um, take on the girlfriend in a yeah. movie. She she had her own plot. She was driven, but also she was really fun. Cad Dennings was already doing. She's comic relief, and she's already doing a lot of that. I'm the audience talking, kind of like, whoa, he's a. Blah, blah, blah. But Natalie meow, Portman meow. played. Yeah, but they, they, I mean that's just brilliant. Yeah. But 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 and, and an right. unpaid an, an unpaid intern ordering around another unpaid intern. <laughs> yeah, but it was but it was fun being reminded that she played, um, you know she she played a love interest that was uh, refreshingly honest about her quirkiness and um, sort of being taken aback by him. Well, and, and, and still but, being in, but also being independent. I mean, she talks back to Odin. You know what I mean? Well, but 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 I what I really liked about Marvel's approach to this, right, is um, or at least in the MCU, is in Age of Ultron, uh, you have a little bit of Robert Downey, right, Iron Man, uh, yeah, Tony Stark, Stark, and and Thor saying, "Whose girlfriend's better?" Yeah, right, and right. It, that and whole thing. I. I, <laughs> I that was so freaking cool because you very rarely see that a in any movie. Yeah. Um, and yet you have these two like superheroes that are like, yeah, I got a hotter girlfriend than you and mine's smarter than yours. And Jane's up for the Nobel. But... Yeah. And, it <laughs> and, 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 and Piper's running the uh, Pepper's running the, uh, the largest corporation in the world. I and just, it does tread a little bit that. on the, it does tread a little bit on the, on the gender tropes though, that they are possessions. But, but on the other, oh. like it would have been, it would have been balanced a little bit better if there was, you know. I, I don't, some... I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think that, I think both, so Thor and Thor Ragnarok, right? When yeah. oh, I'm sorry that Jane dumped you, and yeah. and he's like, he's like, he's really freaked out about it. It's like, oh no, it was a mutual dumping, and uh, yeah, I'm a god, <laughs> right? And and then the Pepper things, right? Well, Tony, anyway, Tony, Tony always knows that he's inferior to Pepper. But what I was going to say was that um, in watching Dark World, I was reminded of the fact that there have been a long string of of characters in the girlfriend or love interest role, female characters in the love interest role that turn out to be um, more powerful, more intelligent or more confident or together than the hero themselves, mm-hmm. hero or heroine. I just, it's unfortunately it's just gender, gender bias in that direction based on the stories we've seen so far, but it could go with Marvel. It could go both ways. I could see it being the male love interest of a female character. I don't know, but, um, uh, Natalie Portman's Jane against Thor um, is not having a shit. Like she's she's in charge, even as she's willing to be enthused by him. You know, she's mm-hmm. still her own person. Um, you know, but love. She's, but she's 
But he still had a mom moment with Rene Russo, which is really cool. Yeah, that was love or love or hate um, Gwyneth Paltrow. But they've definitely put a lot of work into making Pepper Potts independent. Um, and well, then, so, and and even in sorry, I didn't mean to yeah, cut you off. That's fine. But, but um, even in Spider-Man: Homecoming, yeah, that, fin- that final absolutely. scene, absolutely, that final scene when Pepper comes out, like you guys are idiots. What do you do? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, but again, Homecoming. So that goes along the same thread. Homecoming. MJ turns out to be a, re- a real like I'm not I'm not buying it. Anti uh, anti girlfriend, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then and then look at Black idiot. Panthers. Black Panthers, uh, you know, non fiance or whatever is is off rescuing refugees and whatever and can barely be, you know, you know, you're 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 the you're the majestic king and all that, but I've got work to do. You know that yeah. was pretty cool. And then also, from all intents and purposes, it looks like. Wasp is going to own Ant-Man. Yeah. So I like that. I like this trend. So, yeah, I'll, it'll be really interesting to see in Infinity War if the the female characters actually save the day. Right. And, to, and you know, all the all the trailers and everything else has always been uh, dominated by the usual suspects. But I think there's an opportunity here where uh, there could be some real surprises about who's the real hero in all this. Yeah, I agree. Right. And, and I and. And Black Panther, part of its genius is that right. the, the female characters were so much more compelling than the male characters. Absolutely. It, 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 uh, that's, I, just, I just adore that, that they actually... Well, it's like, it's like Game of Thrones. ...to go out and just do it. Right? It's like it that like, whole last oh. season of Game of Thrones where the women were the yeah. power, fi- power figures and the plot drivers of everything that was happening. Well, it was, it was like they recognized that they're going to use the men as he stereotypes masculine, you know, yeah. uh, leaders, and then they're controlling everything. Yeah. Well, my final um, rum rum fueled recommendation. I uh, don't think that you've seen this yet. Is Isle of Dogs, which mm-hmm. was my plan plundering the last time we talked. Um, if I marble mouthed it out at that point in my hot mess state, but I will tell you this: I went. No, and you did... you were very clear in the pros of why you wanted to see that movie. Okay, so. Uh, my it, came, lovely... it came across as something like <laughs> so my lovely wife did take me to it uh, on my birthday or you know related to my birthday and, oh, and happy birthday by the way oh, thanks and uh, we went to uh, Alamo Draft House mm-hmm. and had the the requisite wonderful time and I gotta say my takeaway we do you haven't seen it right no okay when you see it we gotta do a, a, a thorough discussion about it because it, it warrants an episode all of its own but my takeaway from it was that it was not quite as pure Anderson as Fantastic Mr. Fox has proven to be because I just saw that again recently with the kids and I'm like this could so be did I, so did I I watched it yeah. I watched it just yeah. the other night I was, was just, just brilliant I was just like this might be peak Wes Anderson because I'm not sure that he's ever before or after um, reached the same level of just pure pure vision right for no, himself but, but, but case in point I think when they asked what your favorite Wes Anderson movie I said The Fantastic Mr. Fox yeah, you're right I, I did to me it was just it was the perfect combination of to me the quintessential Wes yeah yeah and I will always go back to Rushmore because it's to, to me that's his it's his mission statement mm-hmm. but but um, his emergence of, and his emergence yeah. right? were, Isle of Dogs is um, Isle of Dogs is technically proficient the fantastic Mr. Fox. The puppetry is even more compelling. And oh, I keep using that word. I'm going to go back to the thing where I, sma- I slap myself if I don't want to use the word. So hold on. I got to do my. I got to well, do my. At least, at least you're not saying something like uh, novel and innovative. And yeah. 
<laughs> I, got, I got a Pavlov myself. Hang on a second. Yeah. We, we're not going to do a microbrew. We're going to do a nanobrew. A nanobrew. Yeah. So um, let's, let's focus group that. Yeah, it it was it was as immersive and and uh, mesmerizing to see in terms of you know looking at the why I'm watching it half the time is I'm looking at the craft of it going how did they what did they really use cotton balls and you know. It's but, it's astounding to watch that way, and it ha- but it also has a lot of thematic resonance. It's a very heavy movie, and I think my wife and I both left saying, "Oh, okay, that's not a movie we're going to show our kids anytime soon," because it's pretty harrowing. So it's a very depressing movie, and that's the one reason why I think Fantastic Mr. Fox has has a leg up, so to speak. Uh, hein- <laughs> I'm referencing a hind leg um, because it has a more. Even though he there's this dark tone of that he's putting his family in danger repeatedly because of his ego. It has a whimsy to it, and and uh, Isle of Dogs, while certainly extremely whimsical and fun to 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 pick apart and obsess over all the details, um, it's more dramatic in scale in how it ta- tells its story. But so, anyway, I, I, we so can I ask you a question? Because I've heard yes. that uh, it's really dark. It is very is that dark. correct. Yeah, is that correct dark. or incorrect? Yeah, it's very dark. Like I said, we're not going to show our kids. My kids watch the preview, but I'm like, we're not ready for this. <laughs> Yeah, guaranteed. Yeah, um, maybe you, since you weaned your child on Adventure Time, maybe she's oh, no, I, desensitized I, to moral quandaries and and uh, no, you know. no, but 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 not when but not when it comes to animals. Yeah, uh, it's the it's just uh, I I don't even know if, why I ask is I'm not worried about Ren. I'm worried about myself. I can't yeah. really I well, can't deal with. I mean, you see, just from like the premise that. in the trailer that the the dogs have been isolated to a junk island because they've been blamed for a plague. And you see that they're all like their furs all all mangy yep. and they're yep. eating eating maggoty food and stuff. Just all of that. If you're an animal lover, you get pissed off, right? Yeah, and and so I have to brace myself for that because I yeah. I I have a very visceral yeah. uh, direct response to that. Yeah, but but fortunately, there's still enough Wes Anderson in there to keep it from being just ugh, faces of death, right? You know what I mean? Like, like it like, does pull uh, itself. It does pull itself together in the end, and it becomes good, but. <laughs> Like hostile dog pound. Yeah, right? like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, right, no, I don't. I don't need to see jerky at this. No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, we close for this session of Robot Kraken. We put the Kraken back in the cage, or or whatever, and look forward to the next segment momentarily, which will be even more exciting than this one. And we're out. And we're out. And we're out. Do you have an itching in your underside? I do. <laughs> My son does, too. He just told me. Do things go bump in the night? They do. He told me that, too. Really? At the same time? hmm I guess it's better than itching bumps in the underside at night. Itchy bumps and icky thumps, right? Icky thump. <laughs> Who to thunk? Where do I go for products that will alleviate my malaise and my concern? <laughs> do you suffer for? Do you suffer? <laughs> do you suffer from concrud? <laughs> Lithuanian accent. <laughs> do, do you suffer, suffer from the concrud? I do. Are you, are you worried about them coming inside and taking your children? <laughs> we can help with one of those things. <laughs> He's not the children. But you can bathe with deeply dapper soap. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> Yoo-hoo. <laughs> Deeplydapper.com. Oh, there's Ursa. Only remotely offensive. <laughs> but the soap is good. Hold on, Kevin.
kids. It ain't over. We're being target locked. We'll target lock them back. Every ship up there, every PDC and torpedo we got. All right. She's Brisbane. Give me an open channel. Okay, you're live. This is the warship Rasinante. You're aware of our capabilities more than anyone. We're escorting a vessel of refugees away from your AO. Any ship that opens fire on us will feel the sum total of our state-of-the-art Martian arsenal rammed up its ass. We'll all die together. This is our only and final warning. Stay clear. You know, someone's gonna try and test us, right? Nah. Not today. They're saving their bullets for each other. <laughs> Damn. When did you get so wise, Cap? I'll take it. Blake Bornigan Simmons. Here we are again. You're like Tom. a bad you're like a bad penny. It is, or a bad nail fungus that's caused by the penny in the shoe. I didn't want to say anything. And Tom, third rail design, ever-loving Kiramonte. <laughs> Ever, that's like a 70s Marvel, uh, you know, those nicknames that they always give each other. The ever-loving, ever-living thing. So, you know, it's really good that they've always went with Iron Fist as opposed to Iron Fisting. That that's right. The, <laughs> that would have improved the ratings on that show, probably, if they would admit, uh, if they would admit the ratings. And the screenwriting. It would have been a lot more intelligible. <laughs> Hey, um, let's do a micro plan plundering. Uh, are you? I mean, no, no. Let's do a micro uh, uh, sucking the monkey. Ah. Do you plan to suck the monkey? Well, you know, <laughs> as a fellow primate, it's kind of compelling <laughs> to do that, right? Uh, <laughs> so, what are you? What are you? Uh, what are you sucking on? I'm sucking on a lovely uh, red wine blend that I found uh, at Epicurean Trader up on Cortland. It's delightful, actually. Fantastic. Um, seems like a step up from the rosé from previous recordings, and definitely a step up or lateral from when you were doing your energy drinks. Well, and the Jello shooters, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, right. <laughs> definitely an illegal lateral. Well, I, it seems like two of the recordings we've done in the last few months, you were recovering from, uh, you know, major travel-related food poisoning or some similar, and I just got over that this past week, and I was drinking water with electrolyte. Um, additives and stuff to it and I was trying to imagine you having the wherewithal to be um, you know feisty and spontaneous and clever when your insides are imploding and so I uh, um, yeah. I want to give you kudos for that because uh, I could barely figure out how to breathe well that's every other day for me like the uh, <laughs> autonomous brain function is always at a you know critical <laughs> level it, so Hey, what's bad. wrong? Oh, breathe. Yeah. <laughs> so much better now. Well, I'm oh, having... What? Yes? What are you drinking? Okay. So, this is a sweet... This is a sweet treat. Um, kind of literally. Russian River, our friends up north that do uh, Pliny. Mm -hmm. The uh, the guy that's in head of the, the... Is the head of the beer department down at Mill Valley uh, uh, Market. Knows them, and so he got an extra special... He's one of the few stops that they make where they go and they'll bring the, the Pliny out every Tuesday. And so I know when to go. Tuesday at 10 a.m. and I get the Pliny. Give it to my neighbor. Nice. Give yeah. it to my, my uh, brother-in-law. Anyway, so uh, one of these recently in the last month, I was there at the right time when an extra, you know, an extra case came. 
and he got all this stuff from them that they normally don't let out. Uh, so there were a couple special, um, special, special beers in that batch. But also, I grabbed this from uh, Russian River. It's a Sanctification Sour Blonde. Here, I'll show it to you. For all the people who can't see it, Sanctification Sour Blonde. Delicious. Nice. You know how I feel about a sour. I know you don't like them, right? Yeah, you you know that very well. I don't like those. Yeah, it's uh, like chewing on a sweat sock. <sighs> Most delicious sweat so- sweat sock that I've chewed on all day. It's delicious. Well, you know, it's delicious. good to have goals. It's good to have goals. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Bornigan Blake Simmons, before we get to the main event of this particular discussion, there have been some things happening in the news, in the entertainment news, that I think warrant. Some talking about one of which we're, 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 we're talking about Comey's uh, the tell all book coming out, the book tour with that. Or? Uh, I was talking about something equally fantastical and equally nauseating that full Venom trailer, dude. Yeah, uh, that looked pretty, uh, pretty bold. Gotta say, I was pretty impressed by where the by where they appear to be taking it. Are you serious? Yeah, okay, now tell me more. Right into the gutter and down through the tube. <laughs> I was going to say, tell me more about your opinions about this. You know, <laughs> shit, I, shit the bed cock up. Tell me more. No, you know, it's just like, what can you do with, you know, $100 million to prove you don't deserve $100 million? Well, it's, imp- it's impressive to see that you give trauma that much money and they still produce, produce the same level of quality. Oh, wait. It's Sony or Fox or whatever it is. Sony? Sony. It's Sony. Or Fox. Yeah. Sucks. No, it's Sony. Look, look, it sucks. Look, look how look how bad phony. they did phony. Look how bad they did the Venom crossover with you know Toby McBeast. Um, but this makes that look more realized. I know it's early footage, but the okay. All right, let's break it down. It looks it looks like the worst of B movie action setup in the way it frames. I mean, granted, it's a trailer, but the way it frames that story looks terrible. Tom Hardy does not seem remotely convincing either as an American or as a journalist he looks like he's a dock worker which is you know I know I'm making judgments about how a journalist is supposed to look and act but he was not convincing when he waved a a steno pad around and yelled at him you know that was his journal acting like a journalist and I love Tom Hardy but man I was really struggling well, it, it was his moment in the uh, the meat locker you know Rocky style uh, journalist you know yeah (laughs) Adrian, where's the script? <laughs> exactly. The if this was a Mar- if this was a Marvel film, and they cast Jenny Slate, I would assume that she would be quirky and wry and kind of Cat Dennings it, right? But because this is the Sony thing, it seems like she's doing it straight, which is horrifying, because she just sat there and screamed "Symbiote, Symbiote" over and over again, right? With that long exposition, there was too much exposition in the trailer for a whole movie. (laughs) We found a thing, and we take you to a secret lab, and here's where we found a symbiote. It's It's a a lichen. No, I mean, I mean a lichen. No, I mean, I don't know what I mean. I'm pretty sure if we look look carefully enough, we're going to find a space bear in there. It was terrible. Well, no, it's like one of your space bears. Right? Where's Jake Gyllenhaal with uh, life? You know, like you know. Thanks uh, for ruining life for me. Oh no! It gets so much worse. You should watch it. Okay. The, so uh... <laughs> he's he's riding from one part of San Francisco to the other in a single uh, extreme sports jump, 
and and we're supposed to and then we're supposed to ooh and ah at the fact that uh, his venom tendrils reach out and grab the bike and bring it back to him. If that's not in the first act of the movie, we're in deep trouble because that um, was that was NBC circa late nineties special effects. It was terrible. Oh, that that was Heroes episode yeah. one special effects. That totally was, Heroes. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm hoping it's like the Hurt Locker for superheroes. It's just, you know, gritty and real, and it just looks so bad until you see the whole thing go up on the screen. Um, I had this brief moment. I posted about this to the robot-kraken.com, which is a fine entertainment and uh, podcast-related website that you should all check out. Have it as your own. And, and, and everybody should check it out because yeah. it, it's got nuggets of wisdom that pervades it. Like M- Many know. nuggets. Yeah, chicken soup for the soul. That's right. And so I, I, was, I had this moment in time, a snapshot, when I thought, Oh, this might be good, and that's when the when the the symbiote is curling up over his head, and the teeth are unfurling into in front of him. That was great. It was like he was wearing it like a like a parka. That brief moment in time, I was like, "Oh, that could be cool." And then immediately thereafter, it was just a grinny rubber suit with the deep, not Sam Jackson voice. I just, it was like they just shit the bed in a millisecond. I couldn't even believe it. Well, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that the big reveal will be the cod piece because you know uh, uh, the, the secret mission is to, as a symbiote, symbiote. is to is to, uh, is to infect the planet. Then what better way to do that with an enhanced proboscis? It's great, you know the um... <laughs> black, sinewy, leathery, webby proboscis. Proboscis. Thanks for doing that to me. Oh, I'll yeah. be thinking about three this morning when I wake up in a cold sweat. Proboscis. Simeon. Proboscis. I mean, the best thing I could do that entire thing was post that picture with he had the googly eyes. I mean, that made it ten times better. I, but, you know, I can't imagine Tom Hardy showing, you know, signing on to this train wreck. It's, uh... it's interesting. Part of it feels like uh, with Justice League when the executives needed their money. So they fat, they just pushed it through and did the bad CGI of the mustache just to get it in theater so they could get their payoff. Part of this feels like they're sh- they're just shitting it out the door before the merger, right? Right. But so I, they, I don't they know. Can, they, they, they can low bid the already low offer from Marvel to take over the yeah. properties. Yeah. Like... Uh, when I was talking about this with uh, our buddy Blair earlier today, we were shocked at the, the fact that, that we had this role reversal because I'm the one who's always the apologist and the optimist that is hoping that this project will be good and he's the one who's instantly deciding everything is terrible and then has to be proven otherwise so here we are he's the one cautiously optimistic about venom and i'm the one who's you know grousing about the fact that it looks like it was a made for tv movie i did have a good point though and i'll repeat it it's this good it's worth worth it's good enough to repeat to you and i'll tell you what it is okay advertising firms make millions of dollars to make those trailers and we've seen multiple examples in the last two years of absolute cock-up movies where a seasoned trailer-cutting firm put together a slick trailer. Look at the Baywatch trailer. You know you know that Baywatch is going to be garbage, but the Baywatch trailer at least cut the six funny things and some sizzle chest and some slow-mo and did all of the usual combination of sound and slow-mo and things and made it look like a real movie. And no, it was I mean, garbage. 
No, no. The best thing was a liquefied necrotic fat. I mean, that was well, that, that, that was it. And that was a whole movie right there in a nutshell. It was, a, it was a big droplet of liquefied necrotic fat. You're right. But you take that and you parallel to Venom and they paid a firm millions of dollars to create that trailer. Or... So does that mean that that trailer, that's the best that a, a professional firm could do with the footage it was given? Look, it, or did they pay anything? Right? They could have done. They could have put it out to the fanboys, and they came together with that, and they thought that would be the the thing that should happen. Reddit would be all over that. The only the only upside to this that I can imagine, <coughs> because oh, the only upside I can think of is it does honestly have a hint of learning from the from past mistakes. It looks like we're not seeing anything. It looks like we could be be seeing all first act stuff. Right, because you didn't see the bad guy, you don't see carnage, you don't see anything else. It's all scenes set in the same clothing, in the same tone. There's some daylight scenes and some nighttime scenes. It could be all focused in the first act of the film, and they're keeping the rest hidden. And if they do, then I will give them that because at least then they didn't give the entire movie away in one terrible trailer. Right. Well, you know, when you got a 13 course meal of shit and fritters, you gotta you gotta parse that out so you know you don't want to reveal the shit in the middle you got to just do the shit at the beginning just to pep everybody that it's going to be it's going to be a really long bad meal <laughs> that, that, that i mean that's the logic behind that like this movie is so bad this is the best we got and it's only in the first five minutes of the that's movie that's right that's right it's right. a little bit alarming all right well that's venom you can see our enthusiasm is raging for venom here yeah i know I need another flagon for the flogging. It's just, oh. So and that bad. horrible grin. See, the thing that pisses me off about it is I hated Venom the way I hated Deadpool and a few and a, several other 90s entities. But they went and took everything that was ham-fisted and terrible about Deadpool and inverted it and made it amazing. To the point where, in the latest Deadpool trailer, Shatterstar looks straight out of the comics ridiculous with the pink hair and the white wrestling gear over his face and the hook swords, and he just looks like an idiot, and you completely accept it. And here's another 90s property with Venom, and it just it looks like a fan looks like a fan film with the giant grin and the kooky eyes and the deep voice yelling at him in this no. I hear you, man. I hear you. It's a uh, I think it's gonna be uh, kind of a blue Betty kind of viewing there. I think we're just going to have to prep up and um, soldier through. Well, speaking of blue Bettys, Avatar. Avatar. Our, my, our best friend, Jimmy Cameron. So tell me what happened. Well, this this guy decides that he's dug up enough Titanics that he, uh, <laughs> in his spare time, that he, he thought he would chime in on the, the cult, pop culture phenomenon that is the Marvel Universe and say that everybody's got Avenger fatigue, except for everybody that went to go see Black Panther. And uh, it's um, just the, the brazen cojones on this is just unbelievable. I just can't believe that somebody uh, is going to start throwing pot shots like that for no good reason, right? He doesn't throwing them any... upwards. Throwing yeah, them it, upwards, yeah. yeah. He, doesn't have, he doesn't actually have anything to, to hawk or sell and say... Well, he's... Well, yeah, but no, he's prepping. But that's the irony of it, though, right? He's his hubris is having him taking shots at at the the Avengers phenomenon and the MCU 
while working on four more Avatar films and in the same interviews claiming that it's Godfather level. Yeah, it's, so it's, that's it's, his hubris, hubris right now. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, Peter Berg coming out and saying, "Enough with the football movies already." It's just, uh, uh, it's like and, Peter Berg coming out and saying, "Enough with anything." Well, because you know how I feel about that. It's been previously established. Yes, except for Marky Mark. That's right. <laughs> you never get enough from Marky Mark. That's right. Yeah, um, but it's just I, it just I don't know what he was on like uh what what bender he was coming down off of uh like he had to reassert his his you know absolute a-hole status in the universe that everybody knows what an a-hole he is and uh yeah he's known to be a dick but it was weird that it was like it was like when tom cruise dumped his uh his sister and and ran loose right (laughs) well (laughs) who, who knows what goes on behind the doors in <laughs> that wacky place, yeah, that's he, not what I meant, but it I perfectly know. applies. I know, like the the he I, dumped her to... as his manager, but yeah, yeah, right. Who knows? Who really knows? Yeah, you want to talk about Mission Impossible? Is yeah. dating a Cameron? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah no I kidding. Just, I, I, it just came out of left field, and everybody's like, "What?" Well, that's uh, what I'm saying. It reminded me though of when Tom Cruise was off the reservation and talking honestly without the filter for the first time. And everyone was like, what? Like, cause he was just, he was bouncing. He was just bouncing off the walls. That's what this felt like. Like his handlers yeah. didn't get out, didn't get out in front of him before he made these comments. Well, I think, I think his handlers. Well, I think he's been known to be a dickhead as a human for years upon years. I mean, back before we had our 24 hour news cycle and everything was on a website as soon as it happens. Um, the stories of him being, you know, being a dick and cheating on was it cheated on his wife or was he did he cheat on Linda Hamilton for the one in Titanic or was it the other way around or whatever and his brazenness about how he talked about it was one that it was kind of one of in the early days of seeing how these uh, big-headed celebrity people were just so full of themselves that they could just do anything they wanted so yep this yep. seems pretty consistent with that but yeah, pretty alarming, right? I mean, why and why take those pot shots right before Infinity War comes out? It's like, well, I, I, <laughs> throwing spears at the elephant, you know? What are you doing? Well, and it's not like this movie, you know, needed any more PR, right? So right, and it's not like it was about to squash. It's not like he put Avatar fourteen against it and then was panicking about it. Right. I mean, I it, it just was. Uh, I, a self-inflicted wound for no good purpose. I don't know why he would do that because his his core audience is pretty much the same as the Avengers core audience, and I don't know why you want to even go well, yeah. there. You're exactly right. Why? Why does it? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why do you think that someone would have to choose between Avengers and Avatar when it's exactly the same core audience? You're right. Right, and it's it's like Ridley Scott, you know, bad mouthing James Cameron for Aliens or something. It's like yeah. what? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> so anyway, but that it was just one of those things that uh, things that make you go hmm. So I have a side tangent that relates to something we'll talk about it in talk in the uh, rum fuel recommendations sec- section. But uh, I saw Ready Player One, and the way that this relates is that. Uh, when Cameron came out with, I mean, he's producing the 
Battle Angel Alita film that Rodriguez mm-hmm. is directing. But when that came out a few months ago, some months ago, the biggest the biggest reaction that you and I had, and that I'm sure everybody had, was that what a terrible misfire it was to make the title character have these anime eyes that it, they were uncanny valley realistic in the face, you know. But then, or she was, you know, she had that uncanny valley realism, but then and hyper textured and everything. But then they had these big eyes, and it was so jarring that it didn't work. And whatever statement that they seem to be trying to make about, you know. <laughs> I don't know what the statement was, anime eyes or whatever it was. It was a disaster because all you could stop doing was stare at the the irregularity of that scale and go, this is just so incredibly wrong. It drives me nuts. Yep. Right? Like a, I, I'm going to take your cultural appropriation and I'm going to triple it. Like, oh, okay, yeah. great. But it was so, because of that Uncanny Valley phenomenon, it was so unsettling that there was nothing attractive about the character, nor nor did you have any empathy for her. Because all you saw was the giant eyes, right? So, related to this, in Ready Player One, one of the female avatars, the main female character, her eyes are larger than normal, but they're proportionately scaled much closer to the scale of her face. So they're bigger, but they're not too big. They're definitely bigger. But it's a, but it's the right balance so that you accept it, and within a short period of time, it starts to look normal to you and she looks great. So it was interesting to me to see Spielberg pull off what Cameron and company were trying to do and make a big statement about and failing. Hmm. That is interesting. That's a thing. It's scale. It's about how much is too much, right? Cameron, Cameron is too much. (laughs) So, yeah. Any, any, anything else in the, uh, Anything else in the news, or do you want to talk just a little bit about the lead-up to uh, Infinity War? Well, I was curious about all the, the different interplays versus the different Marvel teaser trailers coming out, writing the apparent coattails of said juggernaut coming out today. Tell me tell like, me what uh, you mean. Well, the uh, the Ant-Man and Wasp, mm-hmm. right? There was, a, there, was a, there was this weird in the timing of it, because it looked like, oh, here's a new trailer. And like, oh, look, at you know, it's, it's Thanos. Um, when did that happen? No, the, I thought they released a new trailer for Ant-Man and Wasp like a week ago. Did they really? I mm-hmm. I stopped watching because, you know, a, 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 a half-assed attempt at Blackout. I didn't realize there was a new one. I saw that there was... Well, I saw that there were some clips or something, and I just said, you know, i got to try not to. Maybe, that, maybe that's what I'm, I'm confusing with, that they showed some more... Um excerpts from it hmm. I'm, like, I'm like dude you're already in saturation territory why are you doing that well it does belie the the reality I think that we know that you know they're going to have a something big to do in Infinity War yeah so I think that they're sort of playing up a reminder to people that these characters exist maybe yep no it was, it was six it was six days ago and they had some uh, more uh, teasers and uh, excerpts from it that came out Oh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I love how much uh, Evangeline Lilly is owning it. I mean, yeah. I, lo- I loved Paul Rudd's Ant-Man, but I really like how confident her Wasp is and how they might play off each other. Well, I mean, look how she took a character that didn't exist in the Hobbit trilogy and made it, you know, one of the most compelling ones in the entire trilogy. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good. So, um, so, it, the, so... Mm. Now oh, you've then, got me down the K-hole of Evangeline Lilly. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. 
but the, there's also I just gotta do a little R.I.P. and moment of silence for Mini Me. Oh, Vern Troyer. Yeah. Yeah. He was in his late forties, right? Yeah. That's something else. Yeah. I mean, he, he had a pretty wild life. Like he was like, I mean, he was living up that. He was kind of living the celebrity, from what I gather. He was living that lifestyle that a lot of the. Uh, you know, the Hollywood celebrities who just go to town and aren't the reserve type that are putting their money in investment funds, you know? Like, he was just going to town. Like, partying, yachts and clubs and penthouses and stuff. Right? Well, yeah, because, I mean, this was never supposed to happen. Like, right? right. It was just, like, every day is a miracle. This is just incredibly crazy. Uh, uh, let's go live in, like, Hervé Villachez, right? Let's just go. Right, right. So he was just... He lived. It seemed like he didn't hold anything back. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know if his, you know, some of the physical um, impediments that he had through his condition um, affected some of that. Like I oh, don't I'm know. Sh- I'm sure, right? Because I mean, he was one of those fellows that wasn't given long to live to begin with. Right. I'm not well educated on the the scale yeah. of it, but you know, yeah. I would imagine it's there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, but it was just because uh, that that role was just one of those amazing offshoot ones that uh, took a life of its own and was great to to behold. So just wanted to say a little little shout out. Thank you for everything you did, and uh, it was great. I'm pretty sure Vern Troyer's ghost poured his own first two sips out for you, right back at you, right, right back at you. Yeah, there you go, floating in the sky. Yeah. Uh, Avengers, mm-hmm. Infinity War. Mm-hmm. What I find reassuring... Never heard of it. What is that? Yes, something we're looking forward to. I find it reassuring that uh, that early feedback, and I'm not talking fan, you know, pre-screening fanboy feedback, but critic feed, critical feedback, where they can't talk about it in any detail and they can't publish their reviews, but they're 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 able to do their inst- their their gut check commentary, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I've read a few that said that they, it had problems, but most of them come away saying it was overwhelmingly emotionally saturated and they had an amazing time. Yeah. And that's all I want out of it. <laughs> I don't want it to be an opus. I just really want it to be an incredible experience, right? Yeah, I, I don't know how you do something that this that is this epic in scope and scale. Right. Well, but and, yeah. and, and and make it and make it make it a compelling piece of Shakespearean theater. Yeah, right? but at the same time, though, that's the whole thing. This has been. I mean, if not for the fact that we have allowed ourselves high expectations because Marvel has done so well on so many projects, but this is a this is something that is that really shouldn't work. They're going to bring everybody in. They're going to make yet another you know global extinction level event, and everybody's at risk, and somebody's going to die, and it's all these tropes all at once. And to make it so that all of these characters have moments and have emotional beats and to make all of that that we've just been hit over heads with over and over and over again and still make it compelling. It seems like an impossibly high target. And the early buzz is that they managed to do it, which I think is incredible. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, I was trying to, I guess, my misguided uh, comment here was that if you're a critic and you're judging it as a solitary piece oh, of I see. cinema, yeah. right? That I mean, they're expecting everybody that comes see this movie to have at least seen half of all of their movies, right? Right. They're not going to go into a gripping backstory about the origin of the Hulk, 
right. they're not going to go into you know Tony Stark and Pepper Potts in any you know big detail. Um, so that they're they're assuming that people have a common framework of knowledge, and the critics may not view it as this piece of the the, the great mosaic of the Marvel universe. If you come into it and saying, okay, I, I want to view it on its own merit, independent of everything else, I think that can that that can lead to some negative perceptions. You and I uh, and uh, and Big K, K Money, are going to be seeing it next Tuesday mm-hmm. at the time of this recording. Mm-hmm. So we have to get through. So tonight, right now, at the <laughs> as we record, uh, you, you know the early screenings, the first screenings of the of the the pu- first public screenings are going on right now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Within a half hour. Okay. So we have to get through tonight. And the weekend, and Monday night, and into Tuesday, without you know somehow avoiding the dickheads on the internet that are going to try to spoil it. Well, you know, I plan to do a lot of work. <laughs> Something new. <laughs> and and hey, and, and well, yeah, the, yeah, but I mean, think and, about. And, and, but I think we can dodge it, right? I think it, how uh, Apple News won't even let us dodge it. You know, like just that stupid kind of thing. Just open your your phone and Facebook app launches and someone's going to say something stupid. Yeah, but, uh, you know, they did the same thing for The Last Jedi. They did the same thing That's for true. Black Panther. And I was still able to be surprised, amused, entertained, and enthralled by all those movies. Right. So so if you were to pick three, let's say you didn't have, um, let's say you didn't have 65 hours straight to watch all of the marvel movies leading up to this in one big marathon because i know because mm-hmm. i know you don't and mm-hmm. you had to pick three that you would watch before going to see this uh and i'm not talking about three from for someone that has never seen them before but i mean like rewatches to get yourself yep. fired up for this which three would you choose wow okay so i would probably pick uh the avengers mm-hmm. Thor ragnarok and black panther Hmm. The the only the only other one that I may substitute in for the Avengers would be Civil War. So yeah, my yeah. See, this is a real tough one I've been thinking about today. It you know because there's so many different things bouncing around in the MCU that lead into this movie that are important to it. But having recently seen Black Panther, I had to, I had to say, well, I knew uh, my second and third choices would be. Winter Soldier and Civil War. But for the first choice, it would either be the first Avengers movie. Well, it's the first Avengers movie. You're right. I, you know, I, I just didn't enjoy it that much. And the problem is, because I was bouncing around between whether it would be the first Avengers movie or Age of Ultron. And the reason is, the first Avengers movie is, is really important because it establishes them all together for the first time. But there were themes in Age of Ultron, which, I mean, it was a broken film, but there were themes in it that I think lead directly into the tone that was Winter Soldier and the tone that was Civil War and then will ultimately lead into this movie. So in a way, Age of Ultron feels like it's more connected than Avengers, the original one, was. I'd agree with that entirely. It's just that I don't think... Yeah, I guess it depends on what arc you think is going to be dominant in yeah. in in this in, in Infinity War, right? Because I think I think the 
Age of Ultron, the storyline to pay the most attention to is Vision. Vision, right? right? Yeah. And, and right. Um, I also think that if you're going around that storyline, then Civil, uh, Civil War is also an important one because it adds more of the backstory between him and Scarlet, right? Mm-hmm. And um, but to me, I would I, I wanted to make sure I was aware and refreshed on all the recent Easter eggs, and I think the crossover with the Guardians and Thor the Thor Hulk thing, because I think that's going mm-hmm. to be a critical aspect of infinity war. Right. I think, sure. uh, and and then the Hulk, his behavior and mannerisms and whether he's actually in the Hulk buster armor or not. Right. Um, I, I think, I think just watching Thor Ragnarok and, uh, <laughs> and guardians too, because I think guardians are going to be another wild card in all this about how they play out in mesh and, and their, sure roles in this so I, those would be the absolute two that i would just to stay just to keep the thread going like the yeah. storyline the narrative and then uh and then you know the the, the you know I, I don't know how the cap and iron man thing is going to play out here like how are they going to bring these two together and especially with you know uh winter soldier and oh yeah, yeah now now it's okay because you know earth is going to get killed so you know i'm good with you killing my parents um well, I, it, it definitely has that uns, that unsettling. The enemy of my enemy is my friend vibe to it. They're they're broken, but they have to, but they have to form an alliance because of a bigger threat. And I think that's going to be interesting. But dude, I don't know. I don't know uh, if, if anyone on that has ever lived or <laughs> will live would ever be able to let that go, especially after seeing it in such horrific fashion. Yeah, seeing it, seeing right, it, right. And and even even though he was a brain drone controlled you know thug whatever blah 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 brainwashed, um, I mean you've got to have a, a persona like Martin Luther King Jr. to to well and to, Tony yeah. to come to peace with that and Tony is no <coughs> Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> well right? Tony Stark I mean and Tony Stark's whole thematic arc is about um, hubris and then and then uh, coming apart. And then well, being riddled with, not only being riddled with with guilt over the decisions he's made and the things he's done, but then making grand gestures to try to correct it that e- have equally devastating consequences because everything he does is big. His ego is so big that his pain is as big as his his uh, satisfaction at being successful. Like he can't. There's no middle ground for him. So to him. Even knowing that Bucky Barnes was being manipulated, he's already carrying this huge martyr complex with him. So to well, him, the well, idea you don't you don't you can't forgive someone you can't forgive someone because they were brainwashed because he won't forgive himself for a lot of the things he did, which were well intentioned but backfired on him. Right. I mean, but but I, I guess I, I read a little deeper into into the character because basically, to, uh, Iron Man was outside of the X Men, Wolverine, and uh, Professor X. Iron Man was the, the the comic I read the most. Me too. Yeah, of course, like, my, I, favorite, I read, my favorite. Right, but I mean, he is a output of his environment and right. an output of of his own human infallibility. And but look at every time that he tries to grapple and wrestle with his humanity. And we'll just set aside, you know, <clears throat> all the other arcs that they took out of the storyline from the books, from right. the comic books into the movie character. Every time in the movies that he's he's made the grand gesture it has blown up in his face 
Right. Right. Every time, like, like even when after the, the big fight scene at the airport and everybody's thrown into, you know, the Hulkbuster base or whatever it is out in the middle of the ocean, the, um, and, and he, he's like, okay, I'm going to go rescue Cap. Just tell me where he is and I'm going to go help him out because I know it's all a lie. And then he finds out, uh, yeah. you know, the, the whole big backdrop of, you know, oh, yeah. by the way, Steve Rogers knew that Bucky killed your parents. Yeah. And, and, and never told you. Right. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, holy but, crap. If, if you were, if you went through that, um, I, I think you would be completely justified in being a little irked. Well, it, he remains not just because he was my favorite character as a kid, but he remains the most compelling character in the MCU because he is broadly, he is so, uh, he's so crippled by these big thematic things that have happened. He's got so much intelligence, so much power, so much money and has intent grand intentions to make the world a better place for people, whether they want it or not. Mm-hmm. He has all the makings of a supervillain. And what I love about him is that he remains a hero, but is so gray and but, so conflicted that it's delicious it's it's the deliciousness of a really good villain but he happens to be on the on the good good side but barely like i don't know i think that's well, really cool <clears throat> but 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 i would i would i would point out that there are several folks that have been through this the the in and out of the storyline who would say that tony stark is not a hero oh of course uh, absolutely and, of course and, and, and that's, that's what and makes that's, it so interesting Sure. Right, and that Stark and that Stark Industries is not, and you can even look at the relationship with Pepper Potts. Oh yeah. Uh, right, and and uh, you know that that did not work out at all with him being the good guy, right? I mean, I guess right. Spider-Man: Homecoming. I don't know where that fits in this whole arc because um, it looked like a different interplay between. I mean, he brought the wing to engage. Pepper, right, so it's yeah. a, you know where where are we? It, where does that fit in the overall timelines and such? But um, if she's in know. the rescue armor and gets killed, we'll call her Pepper Knots. Pepper Knots, yeah. See? The uh, <laughs> see what it did. <laughs> or, or, do you see? Do you see? I, I see. So I, I just you know he's a very complex character. Um, I don't think he sees himself necessarily. I, th- I think he views himself as the only one who can make the big difference at the critical juncture in the infinity war right. and i think it's going to be very interesting to see if it actually happens or not the way that he well he supposes it's going to okay but but uh ultron was great because it it played onto the the premise that he was going he felt so guilty about the battle of new york that he was going to build a preemptive defense system that will save everybody from everything before anything big and interstellar happens to the planet again and then it gets slapped all over the place by all the generic Ultron robots. So Well and it was an it was an Oppenheimer yeah. moment, right? Oh it I totally mean, was. Yeah, totally yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. But this is gonna be interesting because he's gonna be faced with something that he can't <clears throat> out he can't outthink and he can't outdesign and he can't protect people from. Right. And whether he and it's gonna be a crucible moment for him, right? Can't in 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 the face of that much failure, will it cripple him or will he be able to you know, yeah, but I, I think innovate the, in a way that's going to help them, right? I think it's the beauty of the MCU that they have all the major characters facing that moment of truth simultaneously embodied through Thanos. Absolutely, 
right? Because you've got the, the, the same thing going on with Steve Rogers. You've got right. the same thing going on with uh, Bruce Banner, like coming to grips with, am, am I a monster or am I a human? You've got the same thing come in, in a spectacular fashion in, the, in a way that I didn't even anticipate in my wildest dreams with Thor. Sure. I mean, that the, the humanity that Ragnarok put on Thor uh, was unspeakably beautiful. Right. And, and now he's in this place where, uh, I mean, I, I would have never expected it. And so it would, it, it's really interesting to see that at this simultaneous uh, point in personal development, although to greater or lesser extents, now they're put to the ultimate test of getting their own collective shit together, getting their collective shit together as a team, and then, you know, dealing with this existential threat. So, and then, and then, oh, by the way, now, yes. now we have Star Lord dropping in and telling Tony Stark that his thing sucks. <laughs> and, you know, I just, it's just brilliant the way that, that they've actually been able to orchestrate this and pull it together and, and, and just reach a fever pitch. And then the wild card that I just, I was anticipating being as, as dominant and impactful was Black Panther. Absolutely. Right. But how and great he, is it? How great is yeah. it that in this, in this cult, in this collection of all these people, some of which we've only seen for one movie, they feel as as fleshed out as they do to the point where even in this big ensemble, they do feel distinct and like themselves. In all the yep. little bits in the trailers, it really does feel like the Doctor Strange we know and you know the Peter Quill we know and the Iron Man we know. Like it feels like them, even in this entire in this other context. Right, and and I mean even in what uh, like, should be just a big board game or you know right combat simulator or something. Right, but I, you take a look at Peter Quill and his character development, uh, and then the, the the rocket dilemma that they had, right? right? right. And <laughs> I mean, it's just it's a staggering. It's you know the fact that a group of humans could come together and and orchestrate this in such a compelling way. Uh, it, I mean, come on, it's a great it's a great period of time to be alive to witness <laughs> <laughs> we seem to say that a lot <laughs> men of a certain age podcasting about their their young selves never being able to imagine the entertainment choices of their future selves <laughs> but then can, can you imagine being alive in the 60s and 70s and like your big your big thing your big gamble is like godfather part three i mean like get the <laughs> fuck out of here like that or or the uh, the the trial of the incredible hulk with with that weird all brown thor in it Oh yeah, and the all black dare the the first all black daredevil, which was really rad. Actually, I have fond yeah. memories of that. Poop Thor. Yes. Oh god. Yeah. So uh, I I challenge you to do your homework on this, but I wanted to ask you, uh, tell me three things that you would like to see happen in Infinity War that probably won't, but would be fun. Your personal your personal wish list of things that would happen or things that would be different or things you get to see. Well, uh, that's a really good question, and uh, thank you, Blake. Yes, it's a it's a very compelling one because you, you think about all the storylines, and it's just well, good God, um, I would like to see Nick Fury come back in a substantial way. Aha! Uh-huh. Right? Yes. Um, because I, I have a it, you know there there is an avenue here that maybe Fury and and Shield whatever it is now knew about some of these uh interstellar events that's a good point right and and maybe you know all this time with the accumulation of weapons and the weapon tech and everything else that they, that they could actually be the wild card 
in defeating, if not Thanos, then Thanos's minions, right? Yeah, um, that's a good point. Right? I, I, I would really like to see, well, and we're going to see how on earth they're going to reach closure between Tony Stark and Bucky Barnes. Yes. Right? Okay. And, and in a substantial and meaningful way, not just a, hey, how you doing? Uh, love the shiny arm. Let's go kick Thanos, right? Um, <laughs> something something that's really substantial and emotionally compelling. Right. right? And, and maybe even to the point where Bucky saves Tony. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that, or vice that versa. Be... Right. Uh, although I, I would just say, if, if you're going to be true to the characters, I can't envision Tony like <laughs> doing that. But I, I, I could be surprised. Yeah. Um, and then I'd, I'd really like to see a maturation of uh, vision. Yeah. Uh, up to the point where he really becomes as impactful in terms of what he can do uh, up with Thor and Hulk, because he's he's up there, right? In in all the books that I know that sure. If there's one person you don't want to mess with, it's Vision, because he can he can go bananas on your butt. Um, so those those are the the three major plot lines I'd like to see. Um, extended and, and, and developed further. Now, that, that's not to say what I'd like to see as conclusions. This is more about plot yeah. elements. Yeah. Well, I'm a little disappointed because you promised earlier that one of your one of your plot points or one of the things you wanted to see was an extended wrestling sequence between Valkyrie and Black Widow. And I I was going to ratify that. No, no. It would be compelling cinema. Um, compelling cinema. <laughs> yeah, but it's... Uh, you know, I, I went with... I went with you know, I, I am kind of chagrined that the three plot elements don't have any feminine identity in them. So the, the, the fourth one would be, I guess, you know, some some recognition of Scarlet Witch's behavior and all of this as well. And and, and her and Vision's plot line on that. But I'll just, yeah, I'm just compensating now. So I'll stop. Um, so... Okay, so, well, mine were not quite as grandiose, but here it is. So, the first is, for me, I would love for there to be a reason or an opportunity for Mantid to appear in her comic costume from the 70s. You know the one where it's a green and yellow, it almost looks like a grass skirt that's green and yellow. Yeah, strips, yeah, Strips, yeah. and she has got some sort of, like, like, uh like leotard top or something and then the long hair loose like for some reason for her to come out in that i would be excited because I, I, I really like the way she was why she looked in guardians of the galaxy 2 um she was one of the highlights of that film for me i just rewatched it recently but i just think it would be we'd be dope to see her in the classic look because sometimes these characters that have been modernized and are really cool i really want to see them just i just the nerd in me wants to see the original look just for a minute yeah right? yeah but I mean, and and I would just love to see her try to put Thanos to sleep. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Okay, and then so the second one, I this is part so so this leads into it actually a theory. But the second thing I was going to say was I would like to see a gray a gray Hulk, and the way this leads actually oh, into a theory. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. here's here's my theory. So this this could be pretty pie in the sky, but let's see. My theory is, in this movie, Thanos is going to kill the Hulk. And in doing so, in whatever mechanism, whatever, you know, cosmic weapon or however he managed to do it, 
he's going to divorce Banner from Hulk. And at the end of Infinity War, Banner will survive, but Hulk will be dead. And in Phase 4, Banner will be brutally coming to the realization that he spent his whole life, his whole adult life, coming to terms with or trying to hide from the Hulk. And now he realized he's he's missing something. Like it's actually carved something that was actually part of him the whole time. And he's so desperate to get it back that he tries to recreate the experiments and he re-radiates himself. And that's how we get Grey Hulk, but Intelligent Hulk. So. Well, I mean, I'll wait until you get through all three. I mean, Marvel, can I comment on that now? Uh, go ahead. So that that is a really interesting uh, take on it. And it is also very compelling in that they've never really resolved um, the two Hulk origin movies and right. which one is most relevant to this incarnation of Banner and Hulk. Because right? if you go with the Nick Nolte version, right? Yes. Um, there is no way you could really ever truly separate Hulk from Banner. Right. That, that it is intrinsic to who Banner is. Right. From a, from a genetic level that right. you can never really do that. You may be able to uh, split the personification. You may be able to split some, some, something for now, but you're never going to be able, unless you kill Banner, you're never going to get rid of the Hulk. Well, and that's the thing. They've played with that in the <clears> comics <throat> plenty of times where they've been split apart. It's, done, it's been done over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually it's the other way around that Hulk has been able to squash Banner enough or be physically separated from Banner and then begrudgingly has to come back to a point where it's like, you know, actually I need Banner right. to offset me. We already had a taste of, of that in Ragnarok where Hulk was Hulk at two years old for, for a year, right? Or whatever, however long it had been. And reverting back to Banner, Banner was horrified at the idea that he had been trapped for so long he figured if it ever happened again, he'd never get out. Right. So I think that, you know, the time is ripe and it would, and no better way to rationalize something as absurd as splitting them than a cosmic doohickey hand wavy weapon from a cosmic uh, godhead villain. Right. And there's a, and that's a pivotal, that would be a pivotal, pivotal and emotional death if they were to just flat out kill Hulk. Right. Yeah, and especially if they if he did it when he was trying to save right. Charlotte. Yes, 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 yes. Right, because that was the only moment when Banner was able to reassert. Right. In Ragnarok, right, the only thing that got him to trigger back and bring Banner back was Scarlet. Sun's low in the sky. Yeah. Uh, so my third item is that was that that was brilliant when the when Thor tried to do that. That was, a, <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to re- so I. Uh, so I've watched Ragnarok three times and it's never dulled. I watched Guardians of the Galaxy 2 again fairly recently and the things I liked, I really liked still and the stuff that I was not so sure about felt even was more boring the second time I saw it. And what? Uh, a lot of the, the ego planet stuff and there's long stretches of nothing happening that they just go to the... Sitting around wondering if this is a good thing or a bad thing, and then uh, there was just a lot of dead time, but all the stuff in between, all the other beats, I really enjoyed still having had a repeat viewing of it. But yeah, so I've, I've watched it a few more times than you, and the, and I agree with you that there are some awkward pauses and in, in development that could have been expedited. But I think to me, they were really deliberate about trying to instill a sense of family, sure, in, in this more so than than. 
I think any other Marvel movie, to sure. be honest with you. Sure. They, and, and family is defined by those really long, boring conversations that nobody would think are meaningful uh, <laughs> until they are. But, right? they were quinti- and, but they established quintessential family in the single, in the single uh, moment where you see them passing Baby Groot around during combat. That was like the shorthand of how much of a family they were. Yeah, yeah, but 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 I still I still think it, you know the Rocky it, it's like the elder son and the dad coming yeah. to grips with who's the alpha, yeah. right? And and then uh, you know Groot I think we're going to see further maturation of. But I just thought it was really and the payoff was you know the scene. I don't want to spoil anybody who hasn't seen it, but the very emotional scene at the end where they you know even the ones that they think are the most ostracized are the ones that they still care a lot about. Yeah, and it's more than one, sure. right? And and so to me it was worth those long pauses to instill that kind of, this is beyond just a super team that comes together to fight evil, that this is, this is a band of outcasts that found each other and now have developed a bond that, you know, th- th- this transcends everything. I've started calling my son Taserface when he gets really upset. He throws a tantrum. <laughs> I call him Taserface. Don't call me that. I'm like, okay, Taserface. Sorry. <laughs> I, I can't believe you wake up in the morning and you're like, I am Taserface. <laughs> So my third item is I would like, whether it's through uh, Cap's death or which just feels so broadcast that I would like to see it not happen or Cap being pushed out of time with some time cube thing or or time stone or for whatever other reason, what I'd love to see is at some point in this movie or at the end of the movie, I would love to see Bucky take on the role of Cap as he did in the comics, which was one of my favorite runs of Cap. I want to see Bucky pull on the clothes and take the shield and be a cap of his own in memoriam yeah. in memoriam of Steve Rogers. Yeah, see, I, I think that that will probably happen, but it won't happen until the end of Avengers Four. Yeah, that's probably. I, I, I think what will probably happen is that Steve Rogers gets taken prisoner, ah. and, and then like Bucky picks it picks up the shield and the thing, and like, okay, let's go save Captain, and then and Avengers let's go 4, save Captain. Yeah, let's go save Captain. <laughs> uh, the cap needs an operation. Let's put on a show. <laughs> because, but, you know, I also think it depends on on how, what degree of symmetry the Russo, Russo brothers are going to bring to it, right? Because um, the reason why right. cap, cap actually became mobilized and became Captain America was to go save Bucky. Right, right. Right? And so... And the reason why he stopped being Captain America was to save Bucky. Exactly. And so now is Bucky going to be... Is, this, is it going to be flipped and Bucky's going to try to save Cap? And then what, what arc does that do to the, the that that storyline. So I, I think if they, if they really did justice, they're, they're not going to, um, if they wouldn't end cap now, they would, they would probably do some kind of transition character, uh, phase that would put Bucky in a position where he has to act like a hero as opposed to someone who needs to be saved. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and I think that's going to be when he actually is ready to assume that mantle. Right. Because I think that's what happened in the books too. That, that sure. he had he had to act the hero before he became the hero. He had to believe in himself yeah. first before anybody else could believe in him. For sure, right beyond Steve. All right. Well, I think we've 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 pre covered Avengers sufficiently. Um, by the next time we uh, record, we will have seen it, and we will yep. just be like, you know, like and, just completely fried. <laughs> And I'm sure we'll, everything we just said is going to be completely wrong. Well, no, but I mean that's the, well. These were these were our wish list, right? They don't have to be something that ever materializes. But 
the other thing I you know I have to admit the thing that kind of cracks me up is we had promised to ourselves that the next time we had one of these big movies that somehow we would um, see it early enough that we could go back and do a live you know just do a you know do a re- recording about our our you know recent recently viewed sort of overwhelmed first reaction kind of review but uh i think the showing we're seeing is an eight that means it's going to be done like 11 p.m and uh i think we'll be pretty fried but you never know we might we we, we, we could always go you know several different venues and do a live broadcast from our favorite uh beverage venue and uh over yeah over you who's and twinkies and uh I, th- I think we should save ourselves for Venom to do the live simulcast. <laughs> the movie, I, think, I think we could get like a, some, some very sophisticated... That's a three-minute recording. Well, that some, sucks. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> they, they killed off Tom Hardy in the first five minutes. Like, I'm out. Okay, great. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, back to Venom. It's just like Bane on a bad drinking binge. Oh, get, God. Like a parasite. Well, and also, I anyway. still, I'm still embittered that they did the thing with Venom in the first place because, you know, I, as a kid at the time reading Secret Wars, a space, you know, a space, uh, a space device zapping him and giving him a new costume was as lame as any other reason to have a new costume. But it didn't matter because he looked cool, and even when you figured out because it was an amazing costume design, and then. And then when they got back from Secret Wars and he's bouncing around for a while and then he comes to realize that the costume was was sentient and always wanted to be on him and didn't want him to take it off and he started to question it and threw it away. I thought that was a completely satisfying arc to it. For them to suddenly take that and make it into your typical 90s roided out fantasy, it has nothing to do with what made it as a the original symbiote interesting to me. Yeah, well, it, it, it to me it was like kind of a um, sellout to the WWE raves that was going yeah. on at the time. Oh, absolutely. Right? That, that just like Bane was, guitar. just like Bane. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and now, and now they have a larger than life villain side of it that uh, you know is going to be redeemed at the end. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm conflicted about Venom from top to bottom. I, yeah. I don't know. I think it's time for our main event, dude. It is. Speaking of conflicted, oh, oh boy. Now listen. So we're going to talk about Expanse. And the we, show. Have, we the haven't show. had, yeah, the, the show. show. We still yeah. haven't had our 16 hour marathon talking about the books. And we can't talk about the third episode of the third season because that just came out and you saw it. And as a streaming person, I have to wait till Friday. But we can talk about the first two episodes. And mostly what I want to do is talk about this. I want to start start off by talking about um, the new season from the perspective of two guys who've read all the books and have seen the the way the first two seasons loosely followed the first two books and what we were th- expecting and how, what we what this is, has actually led into in terms of what they've cherry picked from the stories that we're following to make this new season. What what do you think so far? Thinking about the first two episodes. Uh, what major storylines from the books does it appear that they're doing? Uh, can I respond honestly? Yes. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I I was gobsmacked by 
season one, like where they where they were at, what they did with the storyline. You mean uh, story? You mean uh, episode one of season three? Episode one of season three, right? I just well, let's was... go. All right, so maybe we okay. back up and and talk about that. So in yeah, yeah. episode one of season three, we have because I have a lot of trouble. I had a lot of trouble backtracking and trying to figure out where we left. Even with the little, you know, what has gone on before montage, it was really hard to wrap my head around where the story had last been, having on the heels of the end of season two, read whatever it was, five books and a bunch of shorts, or actually all of the books, probably. So I was, I have a lot of extra in my head, as you do. So yeah. it was kind of hard to remember. But at the end of season two, they had the whole Ganymede. It was all Ganymede, right? Well, it, it, I mean, the, the, the arc was uh, getting Earth saved and taking the protomolecule and taking it off to another planet besides Earth. And did they... Right? But, but okay, wait. So the protomolecule um, sample that they had, mm-hmm. is well, that it, the one they got from Ganymede or is that the one they got from the, the original ship? No, the, the, well, so they they had one from the original ship that they put in the probe, right? Right, right. And then they right. then they parked the probe, right? And then everything, and then and then they thought that the, that had been destroyed, right? And that was the big reveal at the end of season two that she actually that Naomi had stashed it and yeah. sent it off to uh, sent it off to uh, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Fred. Fred Johnson, yeah. right? Fred Johnson, yeah. And and also, what then they had, and the other thing they had at the end of season two was they had done the whole, like the back half of season two was the whole Ganymede thing. And it was mm-hmm. all about um, Prax and the hunt for his daughter. And they go down and they find the lab and they find uh, sort of desiccated pre-furnace pre, uh, pre, uh, <laughs> uh, dead hybrid children, or like, not not hybrid, pre-hybrid children, Right, mm-hmm. and he's horrified at the idea that this was this either was his daughter's fate or what her her fate was to be, and she had been alone and all that, and so he had all of his guilt. And then right, they right. found, and then they found the hybrid in the in the in the or either oh they didn't find the hybrid in the box. The hybrid had it already busted out, <clears throat> right? right. <clears throat> and it so jumped on the ship, and yeah. it was in there, and it had a whole thing where it was in the cargo hold, and right. had that whole battle, and they finally pushed it. And when they kicked it off the ship and then blasted it with their their impulse engine, then at that exact moment, isn't that at that exact moment when the the ship was going the down Arbogast. on right the Arbogast was going on <clears throat> Venus right right <clears throat> and and got destroyed. And right. from the perspective of the ship of the show, and maybe they just haven't gotten there yet, they're making a direct corollary that the hybrid's death and the incident at the Arbogast were that there was some sort of causal relationship. Well, actually, that there was communication. There was communication. That, that, that there was a deal. signal between right. the, this, the, this sector right. and space. An impossible distance and a possible time gap instant signal right. on the protomolecule. Okay. Right. Well, that, 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 there's some, that everything is connected, that the protomolecule, you can't deal with one without dealing with everything. Right. And at, right. The, end of, and at the end of season two... Um, of Asarala was on Ma- uh, Mao's yacht mm-hmm. with her guy. What's his name? And Bobby. And Bobby. And Bobby. Yep. They had just met, right? They had they had barely just formed their little alliance, right? 
because that's the thing. And the books were so used to relationships forever. But in going back to the to the to the to the show again, they haven't known each other that long. Well, but Bobby met her on Earth when right. she came to testify about right. the molecule stuff on Ganymede. Right, 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 right. right. And so they met, and they actually had a lot of in-depth conversations. Sure. Not as much as there were in the book, but they knew each other. Right. And then, and then, okay, so now they're on the yacht together, and they're having that that uh, blockade situation where they're trying to... Yeah, the, the, the Mao situation. Right. right. The Mao yeah. situation. The Mao situation. But what, what was interesting is that in the final episode of season two, they called it Caliban's War. Right. Right. Which in no way had to do with anything about the book called Caliban's War. Right. It's like, what? But it was a compelling end because it, it, it kind of set the stage for at least those arcs about what came next. Right. That so they set I up thought... to save the daughter and they couldn't. And So Mao wasn't jailed at the end of season two. He was still loose. The, the, there, at no point was Mao jailed. Right. And at no point was the the um, um, Grima Wormtongue Senate member ever put in trouble either, other than like this awkward texting between each other, like, oh, we're fucked. Oh, no, we're not really fucked. Okay, no, we're really fucked. Um, and so he's the character they invented for the show. Right. Like, it, it, like some Under kind Secretary, of what's his name? Yeah. Under Secretary of Douchebaggery, Gavin Moore. Which he does a great but, job. I mean, I think he's actually yeah, yeah. Does a really great job. He's he's like so many other people on this show who are selling it through natural acting in, in a way that you just you're like how come other shows can't have this level of quality? Yeah. Uh, the, pre- uh, the the prime minister or the president, or whatever, he's a little stiff, but I mean, all the major players play right. like real people, and it's that's compelling, super compelling. But an important point of differentiation is that they really never developed or matured the Martian government, right? right. Uh, anything, right? And they really deviated from the script on Fred Johnson's hierarchy and the sure. Belters. Sure. Right. That, that they're just kind of this block monolithic thing that they, they have some complexity in terms of the interpersonal relationship, but they pretty much act together in unity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we get into season three, episode right. one, fight or flight, fight or yeah. flight. What happens? What do you think the story was? As the man said, well, I, I think what they're setting up is the the, the Naomi's betrayal, right? Right, and, and setting that up, and then the continuation of of Asarala and Bobby. Well, they know that she betrayed him because she confessed. She confessed. Did she confess at the end of the first episode or the end of the previous season? Yeah, because okay. she said she said basically, I, I sent the proto molecule. It didn't get destroyed. I didn't send it to the sun. I sent it to Fred Johnson. Right. And so that was the big, that was the fissure that started to split them all up. In a, in a very big way, right? Yeah, right. You know, by the way, what the heck happened with James Holden? He's like dropped 40 pounds and addicted to heroin in like a, a week of showtime. Between the two seasons or between episodes one and two? No, just Stephen Strait, the actor. Yeah. Like he, he dropped like an amazing amount of weight. I don't Did know he? why, but like, he looks completely different. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at it. I mean, he always seemed kind of thin to me, but yeah. No, no, no. And then, and then West Chatham Amos also. He's definitely he is definitely thinned down. Um, yeah. And also, frankly, Cass Anvar um, as Alex. He's also because yeah. what I really liked about him last season in the first two seasons is he had a little bit of the paunch that the character had in the book. He's also got thinning hair and he doesn't have that, but he definitely has that. You know, he he is so far has had that. You know, he's filling out his marine uniform more than he used to. Kind of, yeah, yeah. That 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 he was kinda, that I might relate to. 
yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I share phenotypic variants with, uh, you know, body image issues. And sure. I, I, I think I look good, but I, I don't. The, um, <laughs> I think the, you look uh, great. I think oh, you look thank great. you, Tom. I think you look fabulous. All right. The, um, but, but I think it's just an indicator that when you get rich in Hollywood or you get a successful show, then you start paying attention to diet and all this stuff and blood transfusions. And then, well, Kaz, um, Kaz Anvar, when I saw him at the con last year, um, the guy's really handsome. And he's really, yeah. and he's actually really, really, um, really thin and well built, uh, which made me wonder if he had paunched it up for the role because he certainly didn't seem like it went in person. He was in like a white t-shirt and, you know, had that whole, well, his t-shirt at that point, I saw him on his t-shirt and I also saw him with the vest and tie on that he does for other, uh, appearances. And, you know, he, he looks, he's a pretty dapper dude. So how was that? And how was the hot tub experience with you? Like you're doing the bromance thing here. Like, you know, good. He's a handsome man. A handsome Listen, man. I'm not going to, I'm not going to back off of that. He's a handsome man. Here's no. the thing. Maybe, uh, maybe straight is, uh, thinned out as is as gaunt as he looks. Maybe there's some intention to that because like in the books, he's got totally got terminal cancer from the arrows thing. And he's oh, yeah, on yeah. constantly having his blood recirculated, to try to stab off the effects of the cancers. And so maybe that's part of it is to show how he's getting more gone. Maybe, maybe. Not. Yeah, no, no, it, it could be, uh, um, but I'm just saying it was striking. Like when yeah. I watched episode one, the first 15 minutes I had to rewind it because I was so amazed by the physical transformation of the actors. Yeah. So I wasn't paying attention to the script and what they were saying. I really uh, like the guy who plays Prax and, and uh, I don't think that you have gotten to this yet, but he's in Jessica Jones season two. And, I've only seen episode one. Yeah, but, yeah. Did you see him in it already? No, no. Okay, because he's he's not. I mean, he's got tats and he's yoked and he's uh, he's kind of like a you know, kind of a not a violent guy, but he's like a you know. Oh no, I stand corrected. A, I stand corrected. Yeah, I, I stand corrected. He's the private eye who competes. Yeah. With yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, yeah. like the whole time, I'm like, yeah, because I like him. From I was like, you know, and I I really liked it because I really like the actor. But Prax is kind of sniveling. Like, they're not making him as sniveling in the show as they do in the books. But he can be insufferable in the books in a way. No, he can be, but he, he actually... In a believable way. Yeah, but, yeah. In a believable way. But, I mean, you got to put him in this context. Of and course. Of go course. For, right? And the only motivation he has in life is to find his daughter. Period. Sure. But the problem in the book was... And we're just lucky that uh, these guys writing the book are not... Um, you know, some of the more long-winded other literary heroes of the day that would spend 500 more pages doing this. But in the book, all he does is have have a bit of the cold sweats and yell, May! <laughs> like, every chapter, you know? It's but, like, but, but, oh. but, 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 what, but what was interesting in the books that deviates from... Uh, I mean, what was interesting in, this, in the series that deviates a lot from the books is that they actually put Prax kind of in charge. Right, like as as kind of the moral leader of the team. Like, what do we do now? What right. what do you want us to do? Because they put him because because Holden said, you know, I'm tired of making all these decisions for everybody else. You know, we got to get to com- committee rule, and we got to do something for someone else for a change. We're gonna do, we're gonna go find Prax's daughter, and then when they have the conflict of hearing that beacon, he's he you know basically he's the tie vote. Right, right, but and okay, that was okay. we're, we're we're getting it into E two now, but yeah, yeah, oh okay, but. But but episode one was kind of an interesting setup episode because it really, to me, what it did it was really identified. We're not following the book, people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like like they, we're we're just not. And uh, 
it was it was just fascinating to see how far they took it away like the the whole thing with uh Abisrala and bobby yeah and going going on the sailing ship and and, the, and that whole drama with that 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 was basically half the episode um that never happened the way that they portrayed it in in the series relative to the books that just never happened well and also it's I don't know if we really have to split the two episodes apart when we're talking about this, but they're definitely swapping Fred Johnson for Abbasarala. Mm-hmm. Because everything that you're seeing about, I mean, again, I haven't seen episode three, but everything that they're showing is the experience that they were having with Fred. Mm-hmm. How do we keep this guy alive while pulling these maneuvers? He is too old for this kind, this much juice and these many jumps. Right, right. But but, but I think that, that still may come back yeah. depending on how far they go. But sure. it was... If, yeah, Bobby and, and the Martian president, oh, by the oh, way, yeah. was, right. was was on the schooner, and uh, that, <laughs> yeah, and, and it was also interesting that there was a whole lot of more conflict between Earth, Mars, and the Belters at the time that they did this. Right, um, they accelerated things. I think that they're doing an yeah. incredible amount, an incredible job of collecting all of these great themes and vibes from an a massive amount of world building. And we're not talking Tolkien style where it's just or or Game of Thrones where it's like a million different things are happening all over the place. It the the literature was fairly well cons- it's fairly concise for what it is, but there's a hell of a lot of world building in a short period of time. And they've done a really good job of cherry picking things that feel consistent with the reading, mm-hmm. even though it's deviating from the reading. And I think that's a really hard line to walk because usually they deviate from the books and you immediately start going, ah, what, you know. Oh, no, yeah, I'm going to give them complete creative freedom and license to do what they want with the show, right? Because they have to make it into a manageable series. Yeah. Right, that they can't be uh, uh, Canterbury Tales of episodes that goes on to, you know, episode... Long live the (laughs) can't. Right, like... Remember the can't. Episode 500, season 20. It can't do that. Yeah. Um... But it, it is interesting about how they're condensing things, and it will be interesting about how they reestablish some of the very major arcs. Right. And and, and one of those was the religious leader. Okay, at, right. That's uh, exactly what I was thinking about. It's kind of, it's we're blending the two episodes together, but yeah, yeah. how we get Anna prior to getting the gates, right? Right. Right. And, and, and that she was a former writer for the, or a script writer, or a script, uh, what is it, speech writer for the president. That's interesting. Right. That she, and, and also that she's found religion, and they're sort of mocking her for it. And introduced her family. And they introduced her family early. I really like the whole thing. I love the sequence where she put Undersecretary What's-His-Face in his place for the minute, and he's just immediately locked. His eyes are locked on her, and he knows immediately she's a threat to him. Right. and which, which No one else probably, took her seriously except for him. Right. Which will probably promulgate what will come next when, you know, events happen that she gets put on the mission to nowhere to go out and die, hopefully. Right. <laughs> right. 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 But it, it is um, it, it's really interesting how they're accelerating certain timelines and expanding, uh, no, no pun intended, uh-huh. others that that happen much sooner in the books. And it'll be really interesting to see how they they take these major arcs and i apologize that for everyone listening that hasn't read all the books and, and you have doesn't to know but it, it is they're being really bold yeah they are in, in the moves that they're they're taking and i think we're going to see some really dramatic things that they build this season as the the war between earth and mars and the belters in between but i think there's going to be some really significant things 
with the uh, well proto molecule so, that that's gonna yeah yeah. So in these first two episodes, we've got Avasarala and her bodyguard or agent um, stuck on Mao's yacht with the Martian president, and Mm-mm. Mm-mm. wasn't he on there? Mm-mm. Don't freak out on me, man. Mm-mm. Stay with me. He I'm wasn't pretty there. sure. I'm pretty sure he was not on the on the yacht. Ah, uh, okay. In the in, books, he in was. In the books, in... he was. Right, yes. right. Okay, you're right. Yeah. Because on the yacht, it, all that was left was the pilot and her and her bodyguard guy. Okay. Right. And the and because she's been identified as being alive, undersecretary, what's his face? They, he gets the he gets the president to declare formal war, and in the and then in the auspices of that they they have fleet ships out there and they're launching rockets to try to take out this yacht because he knows that's a loose end for him. Meanwhile, our friends on the uh the Rossi now named something else. I forget what now what they call it, but it was it was good. Um, and, and again and, and that and that was uh Drax who named it. Yep, right. So now they're on on their own, on the run and they should just disappear, but then the decision is made that they're going to go after and go and find Prax's daughter by going to Io. Is that right? Yeah, because there's a secret base. It's that they the identified. secret. It's the secret yeah. base they identified. And then I started to get really confused because they they identified that there was a blip. They're doing that thing with the the instant communication with Venus, and they said at the same time there was also a communication at this spot. So we should go to this decommissioned. Uh, base on Io and investigate because maybe that's where this lab is. And mm-hmm. that started giving me, that started confusing me because I started feeling like that was the base that Marcos is, you know, Marcos and his son were going after. But anyway, anyway. Well, so, and, 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 and maybe they'll, they'll do that. Maybe it will be. Yeah, and, and maybe they'll try and introduce Mao's daughter sooner right. as well. And I also feel, and I have strong, because we've seen some other casting on season three and I'm pretty sure they're going to ramp up for that. I don't know if we'll ever see the Marcos thing because the rock attack, the rock attack is what's important about the Marcos storyline. Yeah. Um, and then his, and then Marcos's uh, ascension as this sort of this uh, um, charismatic leader that doesn't have a plan. But, but you get, the actual, the, this, yeah. the that initial attack that I thought was so compelling when it was written was really just to get the material to coat the rocks. Right. Right. And so I don't know if there's going to be shorthand or if they'll actually show us that, but I hope they do because it's really a really vivid sequence. But anyway, in the show we have, they're going to head, head to IO because they've got, um, because they've gotten, they think that they think that the lab might be there. And Drax's daughter is there. Right. And that Drax's and Prax's daughter is Prax's, there. Yeah. Sorry. I'm yeah. getting to Drax. Prax. Now, yeah. But it's Contorta now. Right, Contorta. And they actually go... So here's what's... Oh, no, no, I got it. There was a juxtaposition in the way that the jump cut happened that confused me when I was watching it the first time, but now I, now I know where my error was. Before they can get there, they get the alert that there's a ship with a distress beacon, and it's a Martian requesting immediate assistance, being fired upon by the UN Navy, and has a high-level um, government asset with them. And... Holden says, we're going to ignore it. And then everybody lose their shit because they all got in this mess in the first place because Holden wouldn't let go when his captain said, we're going to ignore a distress call. Which was a great callback to the beginning of the show, right? 
Blake. Well, a great callback, and then also trying to show the maturation of Holden, which actually didn't happen that quickly in the books at all. Right. It gets to book six before he's starting to make different choices. Right. Anyway, they come to the conclusion through Prax casting the deciding vote that they're going to instead go to rescue the ship. And when they head out to rescue the ship, by that point, oh, by that point, uh, Bobby has Avasarala on the uh, on the Razorback, which yep. is a I don't remember what class of ship they keep calling it. It's like a um, fucking ass frigate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I forget. Uh, I'm sorry, oh, fucking fucking fast frigate, uh, the F cubed. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, there's some, they, they, there's they some class. There's some a ra- racing yacht. Yeah, yeah, it's a racing. It's I forget the term. It's a it's a good term. Um, but anyway, it's it's basically just a racing ship. It's much larger on the show than I imagined it in the books. It's all engine, which is what the book said, and it's all um, sexy paint and everything because it was you know it was a racing ship. But 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 right. I but what I but it was supposed to be a little bit older, right? Because it was actually Julie Mao's right that she abandoned and left to her dad and just went off and did her thing, right? And so it, it's fast, but it's a little bit out of date, right? And the and the and the crew quarters and everything else, um, and and the the status of supplies on it were also pretty depleted. But what I really love in the show is how they they did the steering and cockpit or lack of cockpit, like the the hill really neat. Yeah, they really did that very well, and um, that was that was really well done. So kudos to whoever thought that through. That was they, yeah, they, right. They 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 managed to make it was once again. This show makes gravity a character, right? Yes, it's and, a big and, part of the show, and a, and a killer, and a killer, inertia and a killer. and inertia matters, right? And so watching them um, pivot on axis whenever they're going to do a maneuver and swivel into place and then launch the thing. Um, I absolutely well, love that. Yeah. The thing that I wish that they'd go back to and finish is the arc about the invention of the drive, the Epstein drive, actually, the Epstein drive that actually enabled all of this, that the, the guy who invented died as a result of inventing it by accident. And, and I mean, it enabled, it transformed space travel, right? So that they, they really do a, a really good job for the most part of paying attention to physics and inertia. But, and the thing about it is they never stop making that feel, um, vivid. Like the whole thing mm-hmm. in the second mm-hmm. episode where Prax has left, he didn't, cause he doesn't have the years of, he's been with the crew for a little while, but he still doesn't have the, the routine, the muscle memory and the routine of making sure everything is triple locked and all that. He left the cap, the hatch just loose enough that it opens up and all the tools are flying around. And that whole sequence where they're making jumps and tools are flying from here to there and here and there. Uh, it, it was a great callback to the, the death of the doctor character in the first season where right. something that in that sense, it was a rail, a rail gun blast. But, you know, these things bouncing around in there will kill you. And they talk about that in the books all the time that, mm-hmm. you know, just a spare nut is going to kill you. Right. Uh, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll assume the literal definition of that. The, uh, but the only thing I, I disagree with is that um, Amos grabbing the, uh, yeah. the, the implement of death, you know, right before it hits Prax. It's like, <clears throat> really? <clears throat> um, 
really? <laughs> yeah. So when did when did Amos become the Kryptonian on board? Like, um, yeah. So I appreciate I appreciate the fact that they they say kinetic energy and inertia in a low G environment matters, but again, they kind of fell into the trope of uh, character perils, superhero intervention, save life, uh, which also probably led to the decision making process of what to do next. Right. Right. The selfless act of preserving another human's life and you don't need to probably led to practice decision about doing the same thing here. Right. Right. So And there's something and there's something very um thematically um interesting about Prax being a um a botanist and how he had developed that whole uh just like he was doing talking about on Eros, but that whole thing about the um the planting of a was it Eros? Maybe it was in the books they were talking about it in Eros. And in the show, he was only talking about it on Ganymede. But the whole idea about using the plants as a circulation system to help extend the lifespan of their failing filter system. And yeah, yeah. all of the, you know, and here's a guy who's lost his daughter. And so he's going to grow a bunch of plants to try to keep these people alive a little bit. And then after all their little maneuvers, all those cabinets are open and all the shit's all over the floor. Um, and then he just kind of. With a, just kind of with a sigh, he just goes and starts methodically picking them up and putting them back into the little pods. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I don't know. It, it, it felt powerful. It is because, but that, that's because that's the only thing he knows what to do. Yeah, right. Right, and and so in in all the chaos that is his life, yeah, the the one thing that he can control is what he does with plants. Nitrogen, right? Right. By and the I, way, the Razorback I, is a penis. That's what the word I was trying to remember. It was a penis. Okay, Gazuntite. Uh, yes, <laughs> it was really important to me. That that's a that sounds like Borat's pronunci- pronunciation of penis. But yes. anyway, the, um, <laughs> so that's a really nice penis you have there, sir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, the uh, what what I like is that all these characters revert back to the thing that they know the best. Right. Right. Bobby knows conflict and hand to hand, you know, battlesuit stuff. Um, Right, and yep. and the, and and Prax knows you know right. plants very yeah. well. Amos and goes it, to fix things, and Amos right. goes to fix things, and right. that's how they manifest right. control over an uncontrollable existence. Right. We also had, um, uh, we also saw that um, Ma, uh, May is still alive, and she's with the doc, and that she and the other kids are being infected with the proto molecule. Mm-hmm. Um, because of their and it's and it's described by the doctor to to show that they think it's going to allow them to have a greater control over future hybrid designs um i thought it was interesting that you see on the screen that the hybrid is actually designed with a larger left arm than right arm and there were some other weird little asymmetries that i thought were strange but but the other thing was uh uh mouse shows up (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and is basically coming to say let's shut all this down and then when he hears that there's a possibility of re-exerting control and maybe there's a way not to be killing the entire human race, he changes his mind and says, continue what you're doing. I thought that was really interesting in Grey, too, because he's like, yeah, continue putting all those kids to death if you can give me something that can turn the almost killing our entire species into uh, owning our species again. Right. But, but, the but stakes are very high for that guy. It does. But what's also interesting is that they, they try to control it through dominance and aggression. Yes. And bend it to the will. And actually, the only way that humanity can control it is by bending it to weakness. Right. 
right? Immunodeficiency orders and all these other things that put these kids. I mean, it, it to me, that was kind of a shout out to mutants and X Men and that that whole absolutely pantheon, right? That that the only the misfits can make this work well, but also it's an interesting call forward to what's happening way later with the rebel breakaway Martian fleet once they escape into the gates and the way they proceed to continue to mutate the proto-molecule. It's the opposite. It's exactly the back going back to square one. It's gladiator arenas really. But, but, but also the live culture wars and and very similar to what, you know, Linus Pauling and, 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 and others did to develop the, the antibiotics and the vaccines. Uh, Right. I mean, that, that it, the, it is really, and I mean, again, we're talking like, what is it? Six books ahead. Yeah. Um, the way that they they translate the past of medical science and diagnostics and discovery up into the present day, where the the sacrifice of humans for the benefit of the greater good is just part and parcel of what they do, right? And actually, in, in the in the Laconia, that that sacrifice is kind of hardwired into the cultural belief system that defines their society. That's exactly right. Right. And the idea that um, the one thing that's going to allow them to achieve um, success and dominance when all other all other um, facets of humanity have failed is you need to have one one ruler who knows what's best and make them immortal. <laughs> that was right. the end of that. <laughs> right. And, and, and make him a deity. Right? And make him a deity. Right. All right. And then going back to the what we actually did see, um, the one last thing that we saw uh, that I really liked was we saw Johnson back on Tycho talking to drummer who you know is one of my favorite characters and actresses on the show or actors on the show because she's rad Kara G and uh, and they're talking about um, uh, recovering the Naboo and turning it into an OPA battleship again and of course that's a major thing that happens in the books and it was really neat to see the betrayal that she felt in the story at least in in the show how, how betrayed she felt by him and then how he was still going to be able to turn her that Fred right. Johnson charm. Right. But, 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 but what's interesting and striking in the plotline development is that that event only happened after the gates came about. That's right. In the books. Right. 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 They're arming, they're arming the belt early in the, in the show. Right. And oh. so what's, what'll be really interesting is, you know, how far and what timing it is with the Belter revolt and, and others and the, and the, the Martian, Splinter Cell, so it's going to be. Oh yeah, yeah. It, well, and, and like... yeah, and we and we know that, and we already see now. He says that he has given because that was the betrayal, right? Is that he gave mm. Proto Molecule to Dawes, and she's you know, she's like, well, I followed you. Not well, but Dawes. wait, but, but wait, Fred didn't have a choice in that, right? Right, because that they 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 attacked him, they they put him under the knife, and and he had to acquiesce and give it over. Right, he didn't. He didn't do it of his own volition by any stretch. But Drummer's reaction to it was visceral. It was really neat to watch. That oh, was yeah. one of my favorite performances in the first two episodes. Was her <clears throat> processing at the bar with him, her emotions about her entire life's commitments and how betrayed she felt, and yet how she was still going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then the other was the incredibly powerful scene of Alex recording a farewell to yeah. his family expecting to not see them again because the war started. Oh, no. And, and also, I love you, but I love space more. It, and being honest about it. Right. It was brutal. 
but you get the, you get senses of that in the books, especially as he gets older, he gets more honest about it. But because of the later on, he has another relationship, and that one, of course, fails, and and, and, and leads to another kid, and leads yep. to another confession that it's not me, it it's not me, it's you and me. Yeah, um, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It's space madness, and I can't control it. Um, how, how dope was the? Sorry, go on, keep going. I didn't mean to change subject. No, no, no. I was just saying that. that it, it's good that they're starting the transformation of Alex into a more relatable character than the Southern hillbilly Martian hick that loves barbecue too much into something that has a little more depth. That's but, nice. but at the same time, though, the books were good about showing because because of the way it was written, you can get a sense from behind the curtain that he is that he puts on the drawl and he puts on that stuff as a defense mechanism. But then when he's being really serious or he's really scared, it starts to fall away. And I think that oh, yeah. you're starting to see that a little bit in the show, too. Because yep. that was part. I mean, that is his upbringing. He is a, he is a Texan drawl Indian from Mars because that is the culture that has developed. He is of that particular culture that developed on Mars. I think that's yeah. still very fascinating. But it, it, it will be interesting to see how far they go into the character development and the back development of these stories, especially when the major crises that present themselves in the books come about. And what I'm really interested in is Amos and whether yes. they're going to to go as far into the rabbit hole with him as they did in the books. Because that, that actually, to me, uh, those are some of my favorite parts of the, of the series in the, in the written form. Oh, absolutely. The, the maturation and matriculation of, of Amos. Well, and, and the nuance of how to describe um, emotional growth with a, with, a, with, a so, with, with a sociopath. With a sociopath. Yeah. How can, I mean, how much he can be a protagonist when you're reading it and, and yet you're like, wow, this guy's still totally a sociopath. You still I, never know if he's just going to. And there is, a, there is a sequence later on. I mean, you get this backstory through the short, short, short stories and stuff, and you see what he's been through. And you know through the, through the reading, and you see it in the show to some degree, that he's been following Naomi around and will do whatever she wants. And that's why this shunting this conflict forward, uh, you know, bringing it sooner has been so interesting. Mm-hmm. But you see that later. You see later in the books where he goes... He has that full-on battle with Bobby mm-hmm. once she's in charge of the ship, and it's incredibly powerful that whole sequence. Right, and, but but this is the transfer of his um, loyalty from her. I mean, from her to Holden. Right, right. Not not Bobby, but uh, the, from Naomi to Holden. From Naomi from Naomi to Holden, because up until this point, he's always been with Naomi. Right. And Alex and Alex too, for the most part. So this is really where you start seeing the shift. Yep. And, and but the, it's interesting watching him. I don't. I'm trying to remember if in the books he was glomming onto Prax as much as he is in the show. But you definitely have seen him do it with when we eventually meet Mar- uh, Marissa. Um, yes. Uh, Clarissa. Clarissa Mal. Yeah. His relationship with Clarissa Mal reminds me of how he's acting with Prax now, well, where but, you know he starts to he starts to bond with someone who's in an emotional state, even though he's sociopathic, because they're starting to they're they're pulling a thread of his that is 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 human, right? Well, but but I mean, in all of these things, he's trying to save himself, right? Right, the the innocence that 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 he never had, right? And, and that's why he's so attuned to with Prax. Yeah. It's his daughter. Right with Prax, it's he wants to help Prax save his daughter because his daughter re- his daughter has someone looking for her. Well, but but it, it represents who he wishes somebody had come and saved him. Exactly, 
yeah right exactly and and clarissa it's the same thing especially when they're on the prison thing like we're getting way far down the yeah. rabbit hole but but and and the and you got to remember a, a good section of the books in book one and two when amos goes kind of dark and silent is when he's seeing this these kids get manipulated and experimented upon right. and, and and kind of his his moment of doubt and truth that came about with the proto molecules that he had to come to grips with everything that he was sacrificed on the altar of and and then trying to redeem and wash away everything that he did since by yeah preventing others from going down that path I feel like we should have warned people yeah. in advance that we were going to talk about stuff yeah, like books too. But yeah, anyway, but, but it, it, it's it, 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 I'm so attached to these storylines and these oh, characters. I, I got yeah. I got to say that I, the, the these books have enthralled me to the extent that I, I'm reading everything about them because I'm so invested in these characters. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the the Expanse books went right to the, my top. They 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 eclipsed my favorite books. Of my whole life, and they came right to the top and became the most intense, enjoyable reading experience I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Which is, I not something I expected was going to happen when I started reading them. But no, I, I, I picked up, I picked it up as a lark just to read yeah. the backstory to the Expanse series, and then I just went nonlinear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, just um, went, I just I went I went to plaid speed and just like consumed everything. So I really liked the I really liked the missile warfare in the second episode. Where they, well, first of all, they did a good job of not letting us know what their plan was mm-hmm. as viewers. But also, I loved seeing it through the eyes of Bobby and and Christian. Yeah, trying to understand how a bunch of missiles just went right onto them. They're going to get toasted, and then all of a sudden they're just sitting there flying in escort because we've seen the escort missiles in escort thing in a different context in the books. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredibly interesting idea. Yeah, <laughs> that the, they would but... in, individually be. You know, using them as mini ships like that. But it, it, it to me, it's an interesting parallel that I, I think they're trying to relate to the audience in a different way. That you see all these UAV drone games going on, right? In terms of strategy and, and tactics, and they they really do a good job of you know surprising folks with this incoming wave now turning into the shield that's protecting them, and yes. it's uh, and it also underscores how tactical and strategic uh, a, a, a warmonger the entire crew of the Rossi is. Right, right. right. Um, I really enjoy every time we get reminded that the Rossi, formerly Itaki, right, mm-hmm. um, is a Martian Corvette that is an incredibly powerful, fast, tough, nimble warship. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they and may have glued a bunch of tanks to it and painted a different color and put a logo on it and pretending, changing its drive signature and all this other stuff to try to pretend that it's not. And yes, they could still get sliced and diced by, you know, an armada. But the reality is, they're still really they're 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 sitting on one hell of a weapon, and that's really yeah. fun to watch. And and what's also fun to watch is that they're still wearing the Tachi uh, oh, yeah. crewmen unis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that, that, I still get a kick out of that every time. Did. It's starting to blur to me. When is it in the book? Is it in the books when they weld a railgun to it? No, it, it, it's supposed to be coming up. It's yeah. it's, right, it's when they go back to Tycho. All ah, right, and, and they ask for an upgrade. Right, right, right. 
Um, okay, so uh, let's and, and also and also the PDCs they get an yeah. upgrade on those. Yeah, that's right. So I love the fact that the end of the episode too, they're like, "Well, don't stop celebrating because now we've gone to war with the U.S. with the uh, Earth government because we just blew up an Earth or we caused the death of an of an Earth uh, of a UN warship." So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but but they're back where they're supposed to be. Everybody yeah. hating them. Yes, 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 yes. Right. And I really hope that they continue to because they've played with this on the show, and I really hope they continue to expand on this. Uh, one of the one of the in- interesting things they do in the books is, you know, you have this, you have this Deus Ex Machina, right, or Machina, where Holden's always in the center of everything, and in the and it's and it's a convenient plot device because you're following characters that you like and all this. But in the but in the books they acknowledge this, and the people in the world start to say, why is Holden always involved? Why right. is some other event in the galaxy or in the solar system happen? And why is Holden once again involved? And and I love the fact that he uh, is making these impassioned, well-meaning speeches or trying to get people to do things in his idealized version of how humanity can save itself. And then everyone's responding to it like this dickhead. Get off the screen, right? Yes. But the, the the best one for it is Evasrala. Oh, of course. Right? She is the best foil for Holden oh, yeah. ever. Like the, the way that she just takes him down every time that they meet. And Fred Johnson as well. Yeah. But, what, but what's also interesting is that they take that pop culture phenomenon that Use is it. Holden, and then they try to twist it to their own outcome. Right. And, and it's basically who can do that the best fastest yeah how who can use him as a as a weapon right and and then the irony is that unlike any arthurian legend uh he's self-aware of what they're trying to do to him right and yet he still goes through with it because he doesn't see a better option right right, right. Cer- certainly looking forward in the books it's yeah it's, there's no way around yeah. that yeah yeah anything but else I, about these first two episodes that you uh you want to talk about that you really liked no i i, I have i have a it's a it's kind of a really mixed reaction. I have a, a great sense of trepidation and a great sense of excitement about where they could take it in a different way than we're used to it, in reading the books. I was that's, sad to see Kotyar. Is it Kotyar that was her uh Christian's sort of bodyguard slash lieutenant? Yep. That yeah, I was sad to see him go. I liked that. Well, we don't states. know that he's gone. We don't know that he's gone. And in fact They showed they showed it the ship blown up. Mm. They showed it blown up. <laughs> That they showed the ship blowing up, but they got into an escape pod. So I don't think he's gone. Ah, uh, okay. Maybe you're right. I think Maybe. he's going to come back. Because they, they have a way of, like, Mao, he's supposed to be dead and buried, like, a yeah. long time ago. And, yeah. he's, and he's still back and kicking. So um, They do a really good job of capturing some of the, the, in shorthand, some of the relationships of the characters. I love when Mao gets off the gets off the calm with uh, Undersecretary Dickhead, and he's like, you know, dickhead. You know, like he's yeah. just you know. There's what no love ass- lost between them. Like yeah. what an asshole. What an asshole. Right. You know? yeah. But uh, I I will say it'll be interesting to see how they prolong some characters. And the, and the character that I think they've actually given the most short shrift to is Bobby. So far, yeah, 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 yeah. Who I love. Yeah, love, 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 love. Um, I liked that the war with Mars is seen as un as unpopular like he has initiated it and now there's protests outside of the UN and that's why he brought her in he brought Anna in to help him write 
speeches that will sway people to his side well, because you've got people protesting day one out in front of the building, which was neat. It, it, it's a perfect Trump play. You just yes. uh, get the speech writer in to petition the evangelicals that you're doing God's mission. That's right. It's brilliant. It, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it was the most revitalizing thing for the storyline of the undersecretary. I don't mm -hmm. know how much more of the 24 style you know, him like, uh, yes, Mr. President, and then checking his phone, like, did you kill him yet? Did you kill Jack Bauer? <laughs> you know, like, that was starting to feel, I was starting to worry that's what we were going to get. Yeah. And then instead we get, you know, instead she sits down and he's immediately locks on her and it's like, oh, she's yeah, actually it, a threat. No one, it, no one takes her seriously but me. Right, except that she meets up with Holden and now she does a petition in the broadcast of the truth and then, yeah, yeah we get all well, that. Well, we'll so, see. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. We don't know at this point. That's yeah, but it, fun, it but... doesn't matter because the Beltons, Belters and the Martians are going to be the ones that unify. You know, we'll get all through that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anywho. Anything else about the first two apps? I'm good. Bueller, hello? Bueller. Oh, I, I wasn't sure if you were talking to us or talking to someone else. Okay, so. Uh... <laughs> I, I don't say I'm good to anybody else. Okay. <laughs> Even well, even I, the dogs don't believe me when I say that to them. Like, yeah, huh? I'm good too. Good. I'm going to be even better in a day when I can watch Expanse episode three. So I am kind of conflicted because I have Expanse to watch on Friday. I have the next episode of Westworld, which we will be talking about soon. But um, but our, I, our I man Chris wants to talk about uh, Westworld too. So. I think I think we got to give it a couple episodes to let it sort itself out. I, I agree. I agree. And then Chris wants to get on that too, because he's watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, also based on the conversation we were having before, I wanted to watch three films leading up to infinity war. And so I need to get in Avengers or Avengers two plus, uh, plus winter soldier plus civil war in between now and Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So you asked before how I fit it all in. It might be amphetamines. You're right. No, it, it, it's well. You know, I'm not judging. Uh, better living through modern chemistry is kind of my career. Yes, it is. So, um, but I, I mean, the, the the films that I picked obviously are the ones that I probably watched 30 times each. Sure. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that I guess was our our recap of the sort of recap, sort of spoiler laden discussion about Expanse season mm -hmm. three. Episode one and also episode two. Indeed. So uh, thinking about your rum fueled recommendations for this particular session, what's in your shortlist for, uh, you know, what's coming up for you? What do you, what do you recommend that you've seen that people, that other people need to see post haste? Hmm. That's a really good question. Uh, I think I've already done the magicians. I've already done the counterpart. Yes. Um, I just re-put that on my list. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, Annihilation. I think people oh. should go. I think people should go back and see that in the theater, or go rent it as soon as they can, because I think that was a much maligned film that deserved a much better response from everyone. I I so want. I didn't know. It was, is it out yet? On uh... it's already it's already been out, and I think it's out of theaters now. No, I know that, but I mean, is it out, is it into uh, Blu-ray or anything yet, or no? I, I haven't seen it on demand at all. No. Uh -huh, okay. Um, unfortunately, that's when I'm going to have to see at home. But I will see it in the dark and late yeah. at night. And then, um, and then, and then, of course, I have to do the shout out. Everybody go see Super Troopers too. Oh no! Are you kidding? No, no. I do love you, Super Troopers. Do you that, really? That, yes that that movie made me like uh, like yeah almost 
spoil myself. I love that so much. Really? Uh, yeah, and I'm a big Broken Lizards fan. I've seen everything that they've done. Uh, I've seen I've seen Jay Jessicar live uh, twice, so I can't oh. wait to see Super Troopers too. I haven't seen anything they've done. I don't think, dude. It, <laughs> It looked pretty juvenile. It's not juvenile, or it is juvenile. No, so you have to you have to understand this about me, and yes. Carrie Ann also can attest to this. Um, I like stupid shit. Yeah, okay. Well, we're right. that's why we're pals, right? And and well, no, I think because you you haven't seen anything like in Broken Lizards, and I've seen it all. Um, like Will Ferrell, there's a reason why I love sure. everything he does because it's just kind of like, sure. Like you, you can't miss the humor, right? Because it just hits you over the head with it. And um, well, and the key to him is he has no limit. He will not right. hold himself back. And and broken lizards, the broken lizards had no limit either. There's no there is no act of humanity that they won't defile, exploit, and point out the humor in. And I just um, I, I enjoy that. I'll have to give it a try. I thought it was, you know. I think you and I should watch. Super Troopers together to introduce you to it and tell you why I'm not an insane loon for liking it. I'll and do then, that. And, and, then, and then we can go from there. I'll do that if it's going to be another um, drain the bullet while we watch it. It will be. It'll All be right. uh, no pain, no gain. Okay. Part de. So uh, for my rum field recommendation, I'm going to have to actually say Ready Player One. So I, like you, did not read the source material, although I had read excerpts. Excerpts. Um, and I had already had too much of it even before the movie came out. Just the idea of a virtual matrix, virtual world filled with pop culture references felt way too on the nose and cheeky. And the previews didn't help because it just felt way too frenetic. And it just, ugh, ugh. Well, having sat through that movie today, in fact, I have to tell you that there was enough in it that was better than I thought it would be. And enough references that weren't really over the top hit you in the face. Like when he's standing there saying... I'm wearing the suit from Buckaroo Banzai. And they go, no. oh, I love that. No. You know, for for the few kind references, moments no, like that, really? that are too much, a lot of the rest of the references are subtle enough that they become really enjoyable if you have been paying attention to entertainment for over these years. <laughs> like, little things, like, for example, he's, at one point, a character is running around and has Han Solo's blaster holster, Mm-hmm. with a Thundercats logo on it. Mm. And it's like that kind of thing. It's like all that stuff was just put into one of those meat grinders and, bleh, and you know, like chewed up. And then that that chopped up meat was then sent at high speed onto a wall, bleh, like a Pollock painting. And then they squeezed that all together. And then they made that was the visual references for this movie. For everything about it that I thought I wasn't going to like, there was more about it that I did enjoy to offset that. And it ended up being worth seeing now I'm not going to say it's an opus but and I think in the hands of someone other than Spielberg I bet they probably would have really fucked it up hmm. but uh, I enjoyed it enough to enjoy it I guess <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna respect your opinion enough to just let that go all right well we'll see you'll probably see it on a plane or something I will I feel like it needs a big <clears throat> screen though just so you can see all the stuff going on I miss so much that I thought I remember in the theater thinking the two things I remember thinking were, one, this is like Reddit and Rule 34 had a baby. Uh, and then two... That's never a good thing. No. And then two, 
I was thinking to myself, how many times will I rewatch this movie to catch all the references? And then I realized, no more times. Because I'll just wait for the really long, detailed articles online where someone snaps freeze frames of everything and finds all the references for us. Right, or, or the 12-hour, you know, director's cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, but what you just described sounds a lot like AI to me. Oh, really? Because I didn't see that. Well, there's a reason for it, because it was another steaming yeah. pile of uh, excrement. Got it. But, um, the, the mishmash of genres and cultural icons into something that made it some kind of an alternative pop culture reference universe, right? Yeah. A lot of that. I just, so, uh, yeah, never okay. mind. Do you have anything in your plan plundering? Stuff that you're planning to plunder? To watch? Besides Tuesday? Um, well, Ant-Man and Wasp. Right, obviously, and then I I really can't wait to go see the private viewing of Rampage. Rampage. Mm-hmm. When 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 are you going to see a private viewing of Rampage? Well, whenever Rock and I go out and do poker again. The um, you you mean that no uh, one will go with you is what you're saying? Correct. The only one who will go with me is is the Rock. Um, I'd go with you if we had the time. I know but that's I, the problem. And I do also <laughs> want to see a quiet place. I just really wish I hadn't let it get spoiled for me. I'm sorry, but I just uh, Emily Blunt and what's his butt from the office? You know, come on. Yeah, Krasinski. How, I love that uh, that guy Boss Logic did that photo manip of them as them plus two others and and as an idea for a Fantastic Four. And I was instantly like, I'm in Phase Four. Let's take it. <laughs> I, I mean, agree. I would take them because because anything would be better than what we've got. Yes, that's right. So for my for my plan plundering, um, I want to. Um, oh, oh, also for Rum Fuel recommendations, I forgot to mention. We do need to um, we do need to review this later, but Isle of Dogs. Anybody who hasn't seen Isle of Dogs, you got to go see it, and you got to go see it on the big screen, and you got to not take your kids. I still haven't seen it, dude. Oh, just go do it. Okay. Forget. Put off Rampage for the plane, and go see Isle of Dogs in this in the theater while you can, because you need that screen as big as possible to absorb all the fat bits of charm that are coming off. Of I know, it. but but you're talking about temporal domains that don't. Uh, compete with each other so well, <laughs> like, well like, yeah, you need you need to mind. pick the right gem <laughs> find the right Understood. gem go back in time Understood. no but Understood. i mean it's entirely worth seeing and it's not a it's whimsical but it is not a a frolic like a frolicking delightful romp the way fantastic mr fox was even as it was dealing with some serious issues about being you know them mm-hmm. being killed and stuff it it well, Isle of Dogs parent. is a very and being a parent and being, and a, being parent. a parent, but, yeah. but Isle of Dogs is a very meditative, moody, dark film. It's got a lot of whimsy in it, but it's dark. <laughs> so yeah. I look okay. forward to you seeing it, so we can talk about it some more. Okay, and then um, okay for my plan plunder. Yeah, and, and when are you going to see Pacific Rim too? Because I also find that dark and moody and something that we have ah, to contemplate. Did you really, see it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Did you enjoy it? I think I told you what I thought about it when I texted you and you didn't understand my vernacular very well. <laughs> that's that's likely. You probably texted yes. me when I was in the hot tub. What did you say? That it was awesome? No, I said it was like something like Primrose Rim Job Herpes Attacks. Oh, um, that's right. Of course. Why would I not know what you meant? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So I, sh- I should see that. And then uh, plan plundering for me, um, I want to continue Lost in Space. I saw the first episode. And I was really pleasantly surprised. And so I need to keep going. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a leap of faith with you and go see that, but I have really big reservations. But I'll I'll do it. I mean, you know, it's a Netflix thing. It's not an it's not a heavy, it's not a hard R or anything. But um, they make some choices. That's just <laughs> an FYI to everyone. FYI to everyone. That's not my criterion of success. <laughs> Super Troopers a hard R. <laughs> Super Troopers is a hard R, isn't it? Well, anyway, so I, I don't want to even begin talking about it. We'll talk about it later once you've seen okay. some of it. But I, okay. but 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 they make enough decisions in the first episode to make you go, huh, and then want okay. to keep watching, which is good. Okay, so I'll I'll be open to outcome. All right, be open to the outcome. Okay, Mister. This is Tom from Third Rail Design Lab. Now, look, if you're like me, you love robots, but at the same time, you fear the inevitable takeover from the robotic overlords that will soon send us underground and then kill us mercilessly as we've seen in various movies and tv shows and whatnot but here's what you can do in the short term while we still have time to enjoy them you can support third rail design lab by picking up one or both of the wrong robot illustrated volumes largely comprised of my illustrations of robots at work and at play with limsy and determination all drawn by hand, delightful. And here's the thing. For now, I can give you a book of me drawing robots. Eventually, the robots will probably have books in which they've drawn us. Most likely our corpses, but you, you see what I'm saying. Act now while we can and support Third Rail. See you at a convention or my website soon. Bye. Impossible.